Is it live? All right, we're live. Carlos Condit and Erwan LaCour, welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having us. Um, So, first of all, for folks who are not aware of the situation, what's going on, uh, Carlos, professional MMA fighter, one of the best in the world, just fought for the welterweight title, extremely close fight against Robbie Lawler, and you spent a lot of your time, uh, this camp, how, how many camps was it where you trained with Erwan? Two now. Two now. Yep. And Erwan, you are a, a movement specialist, and this is all the rage in MMA right now. It's, it's really kind of fascinating. As this sport grows and develops, we're looking at a sport that's really only realistically been around since 1993. That's when it sort of formed. Martial arts, of course, have been around forever, but as a sport where people really started picking it apart and trying to figure out what's the best way to pursue this, it's really only been since about 1993 when the UFC first started. And the most recent trend is guys trying to improve upon balance, movement, and their ability to close distances and, uh, and at- attack and be in a position to constantly be able to do that in between those techniques. So instead of concentrating on just hitting pads or just doing, you know, shooting doubles or doing various drills, you're concentrating on the movements that take place in between those techniques. Is that a fair way to describe it? Um, yeah, and, and I think that the movement... Uh also helps um, in 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 the techniques themselves. You know, we we can focus specifically on on you know martial arts techniques techniques which are you know on a base level movement. Right, you know? right. And how did you guys get hooked up? Uh, I, re- I reached out to, to Carlos. Yeah. I, actually, it's one of your comments that you were commenting on one of those UFC events, and uh, you you talked about the current state of the welterweight division. And at some point, you talked about Carlos, and he was still recovering from his injury. And and you said that at this point, uh, you know, he was 31 or three years old back then, and uh, it, it's like it was a serious injury, and that from then on it could only somewhat get slower. And that made me react because it was both true and not true. True from a, a conventional standpoint, that's true. But from a uh, uh, training, coaching, uh, movement practice standpoint, I knew that there was a possibility to uh, to reverse that. To improve. Right. And that this is actually that comment that made me think, Carlos is right there. I need to reach out to him. I can train him and I can show that there are some different methods that can bring results, even in uh, seasoned fighters uh, like Carlos. What is your background? Uh, training in the woods a lot when I was a kid, moving in the woods, climbing trees, uh, jumping from rock to rock and being not only... Uh, being encouraged to do that by my own dad, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, and then later on, I did some extreme trainings. I would say in Paris with a very small group, and we would climb scaffoldings, and uh, we would jump off bridges, and we would balance on top of the scaffoldings, and like parkour type stuff. It was it was a, a parallel movement because uh, the founder of parkour, David Bell, was almost my neighbor, and Practically, we're the same age, but we we didn't know each other back then. And I was following an old guy, and we would do these uh, these trainings because we were somewhat um, wanted to go against the, the normalcy, the you know how heavy the inertia of normalcy of wanted to do uh, to know ourselves uh, through 
through movements and exercises and challenges that were completely out of out of, of this world. What do you mean by heavy the inertia of normalcy? What, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, I like to say that normalcy is a silent killer. A lot of people are just extremely bored by their day-to-day routines. Mm-hmm. It kills them. It shrinks their comfort zone all the time. And um, it robs their, their, their creativity, their, their uh, vitality, um, because we're not meant to live such predictable lives. Mm-hmm. And um, we're actually we're supposed to be extremely adaptable at a mental and, and physical level. And we, we need to uh, train that adaptability by uh, presenting ourselves with the challenges that are going to maintain that adaptability. It's, it's, we need a strategy. Um, if a lifestyle is boring, if we're born in our life, bored in our lifestyle, uh, there's nothing in this world that's going to really uh, change that. Uh, we can entertain ourselves. We can consume tons of entertainment. Mm-hmm. But what we need truly to get out of this is a strategy, uh, to s- a perception of, of oneself that is different, and then the strategy that's in line with that perception of a stronger self, a, f- a more free self. I know it's very philosophical, but <laughs> yeah, while you ask me, you ask me about it. I'm I'm just telling you the 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 way I think about it. If I had followed, uh, you know, what the the box, the the textbooks, the uh, the conventions, I would not be in the place I am today. I would not have done what I've created. So it's a philosophy as much as it's a training modality. Because everything in life is philosophy, but you call it philosophy, outlook, perspective, mm-hmm. opinion, values, whatever you call it. It's something in your mind, is a certain perception mm. that makes you see yourself, see the world a certain way and behave accordingly. Right. A bodybuilder, you may, you may think that's purely physical, but it's not. It's a philosophy. The, the, the guy who wants to be big has a perception of himself as being very big and is going to train accordingly. So it always starts with the perception and then you behave accordingly. So everything in that sense is philosophy. Now, when you met this character, what, what, was, your, <laughs> <laughs> what was your first impression? Um, why do all these movement teachers look like Jesus? Because that's a question that's been coming up over and over again on the forums, and I, I feel obligated to ask. Um, oh, well, I think <laughs> they are. Portal. Yeah, they, I think they are along. You know, they are of the the, the naturalistic uh, mm-hmm. persuasion. Yeah. Um, so uh, first first impression of Irwin was that he's very intense. Um, you know, we went and we you know there's a wooded area there in Albuquerque, and we you know I thought we were gonna go play around, you know, walk on some you know walk on some logs and just kick it. And immediately it's like no, we're we're working, and it was you know from from the first time that we started, you know, he was you know demanding excellence mm-hmm. and you know demanding uh, uh, quite a bit of of, of of focus and for me you know i'm kind of like a you know add type of person and i'm you know I, I that's that's why i fight there's a lot of different things to do i can move i can play i can focus at certain times then go fuck around at other times and and um Working with Irwin, it's not only been uh, beneficial for for me physically, but also um, you know as far as my my my, uh, my focus and uh, yeah, just just my my attention. Um, physically, initially, it was hard, man. I was I was just maybe seven or eight months off of my knee surgery. Um, my body was stiff. I'd, I had a great physical therapist, and we were making progress in in that respect, but. 
um, I wasn't there yet. I had a lot of imbalances. I was, I was, you know, you know, it was. I was, I was still kind of fucked up. What, um, what type of uh, knee surgery? You had ACL reconstruction. Did you get cadaver or yep. p- patella? I had a, a, a allograft. So yeah, a cadaver. Yes, I, I like that. That's my favorite one. I encourage people to do that. I yeah. know that guys have said that it doesn't take, but when guys say it doesn't take, I always wonder. If they were training too hard, too quick. So um, I have a good friend who's a, a, a orthopedic surgeon, and he he told me that it's strong initially because they use somebody's uh, Achilles tendon, yes. which is you know four times thicker than your actual. It's one hundred fifty percent stronger yeah, than a yeah. regular ACL. Um, but as your body's assimilating it, uh, it gets weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it, it apparently you, your body does this scaffolding of its own cells around it as it's assimilating it to your own tissue and um, it it gets weaker during that point eventually right. you wait a year 18 months it's going to be stronger than it was before but right. in that period of seven eight months where you're feeling good um, the uh, uh, inflammation's gone away the mm-hmm. swelling's gone down you're like oh i feel i feel amazing i can go fucking train i can go spar boom you blow it yeah and they say it didn't take but that's not really true right I, you know i don't i don't, I don't think it's true that, that wasn't my experience you know, yeah uh, i've thankfully from what i've talked to doctors they that's exactly how they said it too that you feel really good and you start training hard then you blow it out ed herman did that dominic cruz mm-hmm. did that a, a bunch of guys have done that mm-hmm. and it's um it's it's very common yeah so uh you know but Erwin and I start working together. Uh, initially, it sucked, man. I couldn't do hardly any of this stuff, and I'm a high-level athlete, and mm-hmm. it was frustrating. So um, I would go, and I didn't put a little bit of information from him. I'd work a little bit by myself, and then the next time we worked, I'd, I'd, I would have made some progress. And um, you know, we'd work together for you know once a week, maybe twice a week for over a year now. And now, how are, you, how are your camps structured? Because a lot of people, they structure their camps. They're very regimented. They have particular days for strength and conditioning, and it's all sort of designed so that they have enough time to recover for their skill work, and especially if you're working at specific techniques for a specific type of mm-hmm. fighter. And you, you would have to incorporate all these things and then this movement training and stuff as well. Like, How would you figure out when to put that in? Did you have to experiment or... Every camp really is an experiment because um, as I've grown as an athlete, I've changed. I, I've got older. You know, I have to take more time off than I did before. I have to really, um, you know, pay, pay attention to my body. So we do have somewhat of a structure like that, um, but it's also every every all the scheduling is tentative. It's like okay. Yeah, I have this scheduled on this day, but if I'm feeling like shit, I'm not gonna go in there and do that. That's that's a good way to get hurt. That, right, it's a big fight. I can't I can't get fucked up. So when you feel like real worn out, um, you you have to sort of like really be paying attention to your body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we do active recovery. Um, my strength and conditioning, um, you know, the place that I that I go, um, we we do a lot of different things. They they use some. Uh, uh, biofeedback uh, uh, software that, that's pretty cool. You stick some fucking sticky pads on your body and like an EKG thing, and it can actually tell you physiologically um, what your readiness level is. And this huh. has been being used by uh, a ton of different um, uh, 
you know, professional athletes or professional teams, um, uh, collegiate teams and professional teams and, so and Olympians. So they're checking like muscle balance, uh, um, I th- lactic acid. No, this I th- what it what it does is it measures um, heart rate variability and uh, central nervous system activity and the correlation between the two and whatever their algorithm is that they've come up with to figure out, you know, the, you know, what what the the correlation means they can you know you got a little dumb screen that shows you blue blue or green you know yellow red mm-hmm. as far as your trainability i can you know i can do strength and, and speed uh but my my power and strength you know uh level re- readiness is is down and then so we we use that as a tool there's sometimes we just got to go sometimes you just got to go old school and be like you know yeah this you know this is this is fancy, but I need to push through today. Um, mm. But it's 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 a tool to help um, mitigate overtraining. Wow, that's that's really fascinating. So it seems like experience is probably the most important thing. Then I think so. I, I I think so. And that's hard though. When I'm in training camp, I'm like a racehorse, man. I want to fucking run, and right. I really need somebody to you know pull pull back mm. the reins. And sometimes I can do that myself, but sometimes I'm in fucking you know in shark frenzy mode i just want to go 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 and uh you know and and you know i have i have to have people around me to be like hey no whoa Mm. kick it you know you need to need to kick back and your relationship with erwan when you guys first started how did you work in the movement training with all the other stuff that you were doing did you have like a specific day you'd say hey we're gonna meet on tuesday Mm -hmm. and yeah pretty much tuesday aside Pretty much, yeah. We would go, uh, you know, uh, block out uh, uh, maybe three or four hours um, later in the week um, and, you know, just hit it. And it wasn't always intense. That was a cool thing about work with Irwin. It wasn't like physically intense. It was um, uh, mentally and neurologically taxing. So after we did this stuff, I was absolutely wiped out. But, uh, you know, I got my heart rate up a little bit, but it, they, these weren't hard workouts. They weren't taking it out of me physically. That's interesting. So what was what wiped you out about it? Um, I think it was we're, we're training the neuromuscular system, and we're training the um, – uh, yeah, he could probably t- tell you more about it than I, than I can, but um, it was, you know – really really precise uh, uh movements that just ta- tax tax you neurologically um and um like i don't know he, he could probably yeah, tell you more so about Erwan, <laughs> what is he here. uh what's he babbling i like about? to say <laughs> well, well first off so uh carlos is surrounded by a, a war a team of world-class people uh the, the person he was talking about adrian of elevate uh, in albuquerque is a is strength and conditioning coach so he works specifically with him on this area of this training and then there is brendan gibson and then there is ricky landell and then of course there is greg jackson and and wayne control and so um so me i had to uh to address areas of his training that i believed were were lacking uh if i was to find a word to describe what we've been training with him i would say uh carlos we've been training your brain uh because the number one reason why we have a brain from an evolutionary perspective is for movement it's not to discuss fine wine or the history of art, which is great, but originally it's so that uh, an animal can navigate uh, through complex movement, through complex environments. That's the reason why we have a brain. Uh, so intensity is not necessarily uh, raising the heart rate, you know, going really hard and, and burning all over. Intensity can be in the mindfulness that you 
uh, apply to uh, intentionally perform movement very specifically with a high level of efficiency. That requires a level of focus that uh, challenges, stimulates, and help the, the, the connective uh, functions grow. As a matter of fact, movement itself is uh, a major, if not the major, uh, uh, secret or, 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 or reason for uh, helping connective uh, functions. It does a whole deal of, of, uh, of things uh, in, the, in, you know, processes in the brain that's going to, uh, to, to, to help it grow. And what you acquire through movement transfers to any area of life, mm-hmm. but obviously transfers to better movement. And better movement is not always just more power, more uh, or new techniques. I I told Carlos, Carlos, listen, you've been training for 13 years. You are extremely seasoned, extremely experienced, and I bet that uh, you've tried uh, diverse modalities of training, uh, but that currently you are uh, every camp is pretty much the same in terms of preparation except what's specific to a game plan for a given opponent. Uh, so I said, you may try to acquire more, more power. It's going to take a lot of energy because you, you have already a lot of, of, of power for your, for your uh, weight category. Uh, you may try to acquire more endurance, uh, but that's going to be putting a lot of time, a lot of energy to get that. You can try to learn more techniques, but you have already, you know, already so many techniques. So one of the things that you can do is to to move better. So any technique that you already know, we want to perform them better. Okay. So what is involved in movement training? So like say it's day one, you get a guy. Like uh, and he says, "Hey, uh, uh, I love this idea. Hook me up." Well, uh, in the case of of Carlos, it had to be something specific to him as a fighter. To what I saw, I saw you know what are his fortes, his strong points, but also saw what I believed were deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may seem presumptuous, but when I talked to him about it, what I saw that could be. Improved, he said. Well, that's exactly what I've been told for years by my coaches. And what was that? Um, I thought that his his stance was too high. He used these too narrow, mostly these particular, you know, uh, typically Thai boxing square stance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with his feet in the L shape, um, and um, and to me that caused a ton of instabilities, but also prevented him from being as fast as I believe he could be in moving in and out or, or sideways. So, so what adjustments did you make like lo- as far as the stance? Uh, we, we, we mo- the position of his back foot mm-hmm. uh, is orientated you know, at a 90-degree angle. So we moved it forward more at a 45-degree angle. But the problem when we did that is that when we have a square stance, Basically, your feet are, are in line. So if you move, you are relatively stable only because the back foot is going that way. Mm-hmm. So now when you move it that way, you you shrink a bit your, your base of support. It create, so we, creates we, even more instability. So what you need to do is to have your feet wider, to mm-hmm. widen, you know, a, a bit wider on, on the, to the front or to the back and then to the sides, like a, something like a, a width, a shoulder width or a hip width. So that was really a, a lot of when you when I was tweaking something, 
it would it may create an, a, a negative uh, consequence. So we had to do a lot of drilling to to improve that stance to make it to make to make it better. Now the the stance that you developed, uh, sort of classic stance. You know, and you're a tall guy. You would fight tall and stand up high. Mm -hmm. um, were there any issues when you started adjusting the way you placed your feet, or did you have to relearn things? In oh any yeah, way? yeah, oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, I've been I've been training, you know, uh, you know, Muay Thai since I was 15 years old, and so yeah, I mean, these things have been, uh, you know, have been uh, stratified in my in my. My freaking, you know, ner you know, my muscle memory for for years. Uh, so yeah, it, it took quite a bit of, and I probably you still see me going back to my my old habits. You're gonna, especially when you're tired or you're stressed or you're in different situations, you're gonna revert back to the thing that you've trained the most. Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm mindful of it, for the most part, um, you know, I, I definitely think that the improvements or the the, the adjustments we made were uh, were major improvements. Um, we also worked on instead of being real real heavy on my front leg, um, having more of like an upright stance and uh, upright stance as far as my torso and not uh, not being so heavy, being more 50/50 on my legs and that that allowed me to move in in and out um, faster, not only forward but but back. Um, and that showed big time in the, the fight against Tiago Alves. I think that was the reason I was able to, um, you know, get in, get inside, land with the elbows as effectively as I did, and you know, and then kind of you know, get get the fight rolling. We're seeing some. Uh, I love watching different sort of patterns that are developing that fighters start following. But one of the things that we're seeing, there's a lot of people that are standing in more of a karate stance. Mm -hmm. Uh, more sideways and wider stance, and they, with that, like sort of Lyoto Machida style, uh, Gunnar Nelson likes to fight like that. Mm -hmm. You can bounce Conor McGregor. You bounce in and out mm -hmm. easier. Mm -hmm. It seems like a, a, a lighter footprint sort of stance. Yeah, and that, that's very much what we were aiming at. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I I execute it the way that I do because I'm a flat-footed kind of fucking goofy guy, um, <laughs> and I do I do my my best. You know, I'm. You know, I'm, I'm lucky I got a hard head sometimes because um, I'm not Mr. Uh, technique all the time. Uh, but we definitely made improvement. I must say that working with uh, Carlos, and uh, he's, a, he's extremely focused, actually. When he trained, there was like no, it was like a zero fat kind of training, like completely, entirely focused from the beginning to the end always really applied himself during the training and i know that he drilled a lot also on his own in between every session uh to make those adjustments to to make them become second nature because when you when you change any aspect of your technique at first it feels unnatural because your brain is you know you have something uh, certain patterns that are ingrained in your uh neuromuscular memory and they are they are a little hard to change but Carlos was able to change things really fast, actually, and I was always impressed by how fast he would make those progresses. And again, those progresses were not uh, that much physical, in, you know, in the sense of strength and conditioning, like you would have to work hard. To, it, it, the, the changes were, I always told him, you have, the body has it. it what you need is that that map in your in your brain somewhere to really understand, recognize, identify, and assimilate fully that particular pattern. You've done so many movements, so many, so much footwork, so much. But that way to do it, 
requires a different wiring between the mind and, and, and the body, between the brain and the and the body. That's a big part of it, right, is just patterns and getting those patterns yes. ingrained in your system to the point where they come out automatically. Yes. Like, you know, those those movements that happen either in sparring or in competition where all of a sudden you're executing something and you had zero thought. Mm -hmm. It's just completely your training takes over. You slip a punch and counter and you don't even, there's no conscious thought at all. Mm -hmm. And that has to sort of similarly be achieved through movement exactly and that what's that's what stimulated carlos brain that much that he had to to take a nap after every training whereas mm. he's used to really really hard training but with that training which is relatively low intensity and um the brain is so stimulated that he needs to recover uh because it needs to process while it is it's like if the movement the mindful movement is the input that the body that the brain needs to do that re-circuiting uh, differently um, mm, yep. and, I, and to, uh, to deconstruct old patterns, replace them with, with new, right. more efficient patterns. And, th and that didn't happen while we were doing it. You know, while we were doing it, a lot of the times I was struggling yes. with this stuff. Um, but I'd go home and I, I would rest and I'd go back to my, re my regular training, work a little bit on it, not a whole lot. But then the next time I would come back, it was almost as, as if my, my, my mind and my body had digested this stuff and, mm. and assimilated and, and put it into yes. practical application without like uh, um, unconsciously, without me even really working on it too much. Um, you know, he says that I that I would work in in the meantime between our sessions. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I had a lot of other what, stuff. What? Sometimes going on. you didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, but it looked like I did um, because you know I, I feel like, and I, I think this is kind of a, a you know a, a, a consensus that you make gains. You know, during your rest, you can lift and lift and lift and lift. But if you never rest, you're right. never going to make those gains. The same thing with um, with your technique and, um, you know, this, this this neurological training. I think it works the exact same way. Um, that is the whole movement that's going on right now is really fascinating because there's a bunch of different sort of branches of it. Um, yeah. And there's like what Ido Portal is doing. There's what you're doing. But there's also what Nick Curson's doing. He's a guy who's a strength and conditioning coach for um, Fabricio Verdum and Rafael Dos Anjos. And I had him on the podcast and I asked him, like, what is like one of the most important things that fighters are lacking and that you, you try to improve on? And he said foot strength. Hmm. And I found that to be really interesting. And when I watched what you uh -huh. guys were doing, a lot of this barefoot jumping and leaping and balancing, and it requires like some pretty extreme foot stability. It's the number one thing we addressed yep. with yep. cars. Number one. Number one, I said your feet are not strong. Wow. They're, and they're not, they're not smart enough. Not that, that, that feet have a brain, but there is a, a, an extremely strong correlation between uh, the proprioception in the foot and, mm. and the brain and movement. So most of the time when we move, we're on our feet. And that's the reason why there are so many sensors, uh, nerve terminations in, in the feet, thousands and thousands of them. Why? Because it's about intelligence, intelligence in the sense of information. We talk about proprioception, exteroception, which is the particular perception of a uh, uh, a given surface and its texture and is it slippery is it give it does it give mm. traction and things like that 
Uh, is it is it stable or shaky? Anyways, so the moment you place your feet, uh, boom, it sends an information to the brain. The brain processes and gives order to all the rest of the body to shift the weight to to, uh, to just you know gives some order, some intention. It happens without you having to think about it, and it happens extremely fast. However, the more your feet are sensitive in that sense, uh, the faster that information travels up and, and back down. Uh, and secondly, also the stronger your foot is, the more reliable your base of support is. So we talk about the strength uh, of the foot. We talk about the elasticity of, of the muscles in the feet uh, to, to be sometimes more bouncy, uh, just simply faster, uh, to be also uh, more endurant to to last longer with that elasticity and speed um and we did a lot of that through uh, balancing drills even mm-hmm. like loaded balancing drills but also specific footwork drills uh and moving in and out and and it was not only uh the footwork itself it's also how the level of alertness that you have in relation to an opponent and the level of responsiveness that you have in your movement in relation to an opponent because it's not just reinforcing a particular part of your body as if you're made of parts. It, it has to work as a whole. We had to make sure that anything would improve specifically then would be brought back to the, the, the whole spectrum, which is movement in a fight and work and Im- actually improve. And that's what uh, Carlos did every time when he would go sp- sparring. And then he would see by himself and, and then tell me back, I've improved this, I've improved that, and my coaches see it too. Mm. So the proof is in the, pu- the, the pudding, as, as Carlos would always say. It works. You know, most people would think that if you're a fit guy and you're a strong guy and, you know, like say maybe you do squats or something like that, you'd have strong feet. And uh, one of the things that shocked me the most when I started doing yoga is that's what would give out. It's my feet would give out. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is so, so bizarre. Like I felt like, okay, if I could stand on one foot, like if you made me stand here on one foot with my sneakers on, it's not hard. I'll stand on one foot, you know, okay, no big deal. But when you're balancing, my feet would fucking ache. You know, like you're doing like bow pose or something like that, and you got one leg up here and your arm is stretched forward and you're balancing. My feet would be what were, was giving out. And I started thinking about how little stability, you know, most people probably have from training with shoes on, lifting weights with shoes on, doing running with like big, thick, cushy shoes. It, All those things. Even even uh, elite elite athletes and even elite MMA fighters. And the reason mm. why, even even when they are training uh, barefoot in dojos or in gyms, um, but you have to think of what's the background of a given person. Most people today in modern populations uh, grow up indoors with shoes on. Mm-hmm. All the time, right. walking where walking on flat, smooth surfaces, very predictable. There's no challenge to to the body. There's no challenge to the feet. The feet become numb. The feet become weak structurally, and and uh, and and in terms of strength, in terms of uh, they just sort of get laced areas, mobility, into these stability. Shoes. Yeah. So um, if you train MMA because you are going to. Uh, do uh, you know? Say so striking move on your feet is going to help. Definitely, is going to help your your foot strength, your foot mobility, your foot stability. But it, not as much as what you're going to gain when you have to balance uh, on, on 
on, on narrow surfaces and or in certain positions in certain transitions and kneeling and sitting and get ups and get down especially with loads on or at a certain pace at a certain speed um, it's different and when you make the feet stronger then your footwork is stronger when we talk about movement coaching uh, some people are confused because when they hear movement in relation to fighting, they think footwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is footwork, but it's also more than that. Do you remember a few years back, uh, it was all the rage, you were, you were hearing about a lot of NFL players were doing ballet. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember. It was a, a big deal. Like People were like mocking it and joking around about it. And I remember thinking, man, that is really interesting. Very they, smart. They, they must have some sort of benefit. In that, if they're doing it, but if you think about ballet, the movements are incredibly difficult, and especially if you're a 260-pound fucking stud athlete covered in muscles, it's like if you're a thick. Like there was a guy that was in a yoga class recently. He was a former football player, real big guy, he's like six four and real thick and heavy, and it's so much harder for him to do these movements than say like a girl who weighs 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's like but, a castle in the sand, you know. Yeah. It's not an Achilles tendon. It's like an Achilles. Food. It's uh, uh, you have a whole mountain that's that's built on on a very weak foundation. So mm. ballet, uh, even for NFL players, um, was actually a very smart move because when you look at the strength of the the, the, the cows, I had a, uh, a cousin who was a professional uh, dancer. Uh, her her cows, her foot strength was completely amazing because. You know, they do this gracious movement. Mm. People see the grace, but they make extraordinarily movement look easy, but they're not. Like floor gymnasts, too, I would imagine, because they have to stick. Like, they, your your foot has to have the ability to catch you and then just stay in that position completely mm-hmm. locked in. It absorb uh, f- foot, ankle, knee, hip stability, core stability. I mean, it, it all it starts starts in the foot. Um, balance. I mean, it, it, it's it, everything is integrated, of course, um, but it it starts with your feet. I saw you doing uh, in some of the countdown shows. You were doing a lot of jumping over things and then standing and jumping onto a, a, a looks like a board mm-hmm. and landing on like it looks like a two by four or something like yep. that and locking in place on that. And it was pretty impressive stuff because mm-hmm. there it is right here, Jamie. How what a you're on uh-huh. the ball, but like this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, when you were doing these kind of movements, like, look, you'd see it here on this. How did you, how do you design these, Erwan? And, like, what are you, are you looking for different things specific to Carlos? I mean, totally specific, 100% specific to Carlos. Because that's the point. Uh, movement coaching, for lack of better term, um, it's not giving a fighter random movements that are not fighting movements mm-hmm. ballet dancing or whatever capora tai chi it could mm-hmm. be anything it could be any movement movement is such a very it's a vast world or universe um if you're lucky you're gonna uh, you're gonna if you give something randomly you're gonna find something that happens to be useful but in in the case of carlos I looked at his fights. I analyzed this movement. I had uh, some 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 intuitions about what was there, what was missing, and then as I was training him, I was constantly adjusting uh, the movement programs, what was in every session, to what I saw was working 
what I saw was not working, what I, depending on the level of progress that it was making, we would do something more difficult or at a higher level of intensity. It's, it's tailored. It's customized, not random. How did you develop this program? This is very interesting because I would imagine that you would get athletes from a bunch of different sports that would come to you, right? No. No? But, but I'm not looking. I, I told Carlos, Carlos, listen, I'm focusing 100% on you. Right. There's no other athlete that I want to But you train. have like a gym, right? I mean, you have this MoveNat, is this company, you have this we, we, website. We, and yeah, we have uh, we have thousands of certified trainers who are using thousands? our methods. Yeah, thousands of trainers. Wow. I think somewhere around 3,000 at this How point around the world. How long have you been doing this? Uh, six, six, the company uh, since 2009. So this is all your creation. You've developed this all yourself. My method, the method, is my creation. But however, I do draw from uh, from the history of physical education, which I have uh, studied a lot, especially what comes from Europe. And in my case, because I'm I'm originally from France, uh, there used to be a method called uh, the natural method by a guy called Georges Bear, who himself was not. He was seen as a pioneer, but himself was. You know, at some point of the, that long line of people, uh, before him was Amoros and Pestalozzi and Mercurialis, a lot of guys who were working on these different methods. But we're talking uh, uh, 20th century, 90th century, 18th century, and before and before and before. Mm -hmm. And back then, people didn't have exercise science. Uh, so what is it that they were training? They were training the most down-to-earth practical movements they would jump they would run they would crawl they would lift and carry things and throw and catch things why because that's these are the movements that people needed back then that they were uh in the military or firefighters and when you look at it today um if there is a situation that's say potentially life-threatening these are still the movements that you need to do to save your life or to save somebody else's life. They're extremely, they're natural, but they are natural also to the point that they are vital. So you have this gym, right? Um, what, what is your normal clientele? Like the normal person that comes to a MoveNat gym? It's, it's impossible to uh, shrink to a particular category because... Do you get like housewives? Do you get all, athletes all, of all sports? All. Yeah. Yes, yes. Old and young, men and women. So some woman comes in, she's a, she's a housewife. Oh, uh -huh. a, women hate that fucking expression. <laughs> a woman comes in who's a non-professional athlete who's just looking to get back in shape maybe after having a baby. Like what, do you design a protocol specifically for her? Is that what you would do? Yeah. it's, a, it's Or a do you have classes? Like the, the movements, there are some movements that are uh, fundamental movements that anybody can do. Uh, and then you have more advanced movement, and then you have, say, a simple jump. Like you see Carlos jumping, you're like, this woman you're talking about won't be able to do that. Actually, right. yes, she will, but not at the same not level yet. of intensity. Right. right. Oh, I see. So you would have her do it like shorter jumps over lower yeah. It lower can be a bars. simple jump on the spot where mm -hmm. you jump two inches above ground and land in the same spot where you were standing. Two inches? I think she could do four. <laughs> you got to push her. Could, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Get... <laughs> well, you just need to keep the, on, the, the training. Yeah. You got it. Um, you know, never too hard, never right. too Easy. Easy. That right. was actually also my concern when I started to train Carlos because he was recovering and I was extremely worried that I wouldn't do anything that would 
compromise his mm-hmm. recovery in any way that would actually help him recover even even faster. So a method you have a method only when it's scalable and also when it is progressive. And because these movements are natural, they belong to all of us. Like it's like um, what would be the best way to train a wild tiger? Like can you imagine that you're gonna try to isolate their you know, their hind legs and then try to have them do another workout for the front legs mm. and then put them on a on a uh, treadmill for cardio. That wouldn't make any sense. That would be hilarious because <laughs> to be optimally strong and, and agile and like a good hunter, a good predator, the wild tiger just needs to be and behave and move like a wild tiger in its original environment. But why I would think it if be you any get different a tiger on an inverted treadmill and really push that motherfucker? <laughs> have some good music going, yeah, maybe like, some uh, motivational videos. It would, turn you know? the heater up. It yeah. would be a, dra- a, dra- a drago tiger. Uh, well, you know, you they know. do that with, uh, with pit bulls. You know, pit bulls, when they train them for fighting, they, they put them on treadmills. It's, uh, they put them on a, a, a treadmill that's sort of self-propelled, like the animal's propelling the treadmill, mm-hmm. and they'll put something in front of it that it wants to get to. So exercise it, science yeah. for, for pit bulls. Yeah, and, well, it's, a, it's and, a real thing. I mean, they sell no, these. Yeah. They, no. they have weigh-ins. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. They, they, this shit's yeah. serious, man. Oh, yeah. Why, yeah. why not? But my point was everybody needs the fundamental of, I believe, everybody needs the fundamental of, of movements before you go through a, a very... Uh, specific science-based uh, exercise for for anybody. Uh, most people don't need that. Most mm. people just need to move in the first place. They don't even move. They can't even squat. Right, right. Most people are just sedentary. They're right. just sitting in offices and right. cubicles or what have you. And it. the cause of, of most of their uh, physical ailments is that improper movement behavior, lack of movement right. or too specialized movement, mm-hmm. lack of diversity. Uh and the good thing is that the antidote for that is movement also, movement right. behaviors. Movement behavior is the cause and the solution to a lot of physical issues. Yeah, so when, when you think about it, what do we do? We, we fucking stand, we sit, we lay, we bend. That's about it. That's like four, four things, right, throughout right. our day, you know. And that, that is so, so you know, narrow of a movement spectrum compared to what should we do? We should throw, we should run, we should catch, we could, should swim, we should balance, we should pull, we should carry, we should you know, fight. We could, all, all this uh, you know, variety of things that, that the human body is supposed to do, and yet we are like in these constraints of our, you know, we have mm. chairs, we're sitting here on fucking chairs. Yeah. Before there was chairs, there was a fucking, you know, a low, low squat or kneel or, you know, um, there's, uh, there's also the, the, the neurological, uh, benefit of doing those things because mm. to, for you to, um, to, to move that way, your body has, or your, your brain has to do it for you. It if we fire those yeah, synapses yeah, off, if right? we're not, we're not doing that by, you know, this, this boring ass shit, or even if we're, um, uh, fit, you know, we're still laying, mm-hmm. we're still, we are sitting on machines. I'm doing a, you know, a, a, a elevated, you know, whatever, um, bench it's, press or something. Yeah. Like. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, we're still kind of isolated it's, it's and very, very minimal. Yeah, yeah. It's very minimal. We, we're, we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to fucking move. Exactly. The, 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 even the people who, who are brave enough to go against that inertia of normalcy, um, and, and go to the gym, 
uh, and they will exercise with machines. I see a huge problem with that. Yeah, like Nautilus-type machines. It's, stuff to, like it's totalitarian. Yeah. Because machines dictates your movement. Right. Shrinks it, shapes it. Uh, it you have no choice. You follow a, a very simplified pattern that's imposed by the machine. Right. This is not who you are. This is not what you're supposed to be and move like. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be highly adaptable in the way you move. But when you do uh, try to isolate your muscles, it, you're treating yourself like you're a freaking machine. It's like a factory mm-hmm. when you should be like a, a wild forest or a permaculture gar- garden or something like that. It's, it's not what you're designed by uh, evolution or creation, whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> to do. Uh, and, and so bringing it back around to, to MMA, to stepping in the octagon to, to fighting, you know, the nature of our sport has so many different uh, variables. I mean, anything can happen. We go through, you know, we're using various uh, energy systems. We go from, you know, going um, aerobic to anaerobic to using a, an isometric hold all the way back through, you know, so so many different things involved because basically we're able to do whatever the fuck we want in there right. with a you know under a very limited amount of rules. Um, so training this way just just makes sense um, because I mean it's 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 much more uh, along the lines of what we're actually going to do in competition. How much of a factor does flexibility uh, play, and how often do you, uh, you train flexibility? A lot of a lot of uh, so flexibility is, is is huge. Mobility is huge because the more mobility you can, you know, um, uh, explore, manifest physically, uh, f- full range of of motion. But it also plays a huge role in uh, how relaxed you are, and therefore how much power you can generate. And that's actually what was the uh, one of the main point uh, focus on the second camp that we did for uh, the fight for Roby. Um, so we established a strategy. Uh, I proposed a movement strategy uh, f- uh, to Carlos, and he, 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 he t- when he talked to Greg Jackson about his game plan, they, they came up with the same thing, and that was to use his wrench to always keep control of the wrench, and therefore to use his his reach through using his kicks more and better, mm-hmm. and. Um, we had to address some some deficiencies in, in flexibility because what we what we what we noticed right away is that when he was uh, when Carlos was trying to reach a certain height, uh, he had to somewhat go a little beyond his his back then current level of you mean height of with mobility a kick? yes yeah. yes and so when you try to somewhat force a little your mobility what creates is instability mm-hmm. and 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 slows down the movement and then you also lose his accuracy and power and accuracy so we did tons of of stretching but we did that stretching through natural movements through a lot of movement on the ground and and um yeah through the, those natural patterns so I think, uh, and you know, tell me if you agree, um, in MMA, as opposed to traditional martial arts, I think we skip over a lot of the, the, the intricacies. Because I know you're a, a martial artist, you're, you, know, you're, you came up in, in uh, Taekwondo, um, and I feel like traditional martial arts really emphasize, you don't go past this point until you've mastered this, this thing. Right. And it's very... Uh, you know, very specialized in MMA. I think we get a guy and, 
you know, he, he's got a wrestling background. Uh, we'll teach him a, a little bit of boxing. Um, mm-hmm. We won't get him necessarily super crisp. Teach him how to stay out of a few submissions. You know, get him real strong. Get him in shape. And then put him out there and let him go with intensity. And mm-hmm. a lot of times that'll carry a lot of guys to the top levels. And yet they've missed some of these s- smaller, um, basic nuts and bolts kind of thing w- with with the movement. Yeah. Um, and I think that going back to um, and that, that's all good. That's all well and good. You know, you need you need that mix of stuff. You need the intensity. You need to be able to get out there and bring in you know bite down on your mouthpiece and throw down when it when when the time comes. But if you have that, you can always go back and work on that other stuff. And, yeah. that, and that's what I feel like uh, I, I did quite a bit with, uh, with Irwin is, you know, uh, making these tweaks on these, uh, these very f- fundamental things that, that had, been, had been skipped over because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of I'm built to be a, I, I, got, I got the fighter thing here. Um, and you put me, you know, against whoever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking go. But now let's, let's refine, let's refine, let's refine and, and uh, um, maximize and yeah, maximize the potential of, of what I can do. Yeah, it seems like almost having that kind of go, go, go mentality, that fighter mentality, it's obviously a huge benefit when you're in a fight. But it almost seems like maybe sometimes it's against your benefit when you're training because when you're training, you almost should be looking at it like a science. You you almost should be looking at it instead of like just trying to be the toughest guy in the room. You should almost be looking at it like you're building a a castle and you have to make sure the foundation is good. And in traditional martial arts, you have your white belt techniques. And then, you know, as you develop in the ranks and you get new new belts, you move up and you get higher ranks. One of the things you say, you, you get uh, higher techniques or more difficult techniques, but one of the things you see in MMA is there's guys that have mastered, like truly mastered one particular aspect of MMA, like uh, Damian Maia is a perfect example. He's a legitimate jiu-jitsu master, world mm-hmm. champion, and because of that, his his specialty is so strong that he when he gets to that spot he's just got this massive advantage over almost anybody mm-hmm. and you see that when he fights like really good guys mm-hmm. you know yeah. like gunner, gunner nelson, nelson. i was... mean gunner nelson's a motherfucker yep a motherfucker on the ground yep but damien's so goddamn good like neil magny's another one neil magny is so good mm-hmm. he's so tough and so so good at avoiding submissions his defense is excellent and damien just ran right through him and he runs right through him because his technique is samurai sword sharp yeah. and yeah. he has polished it down and then now he's learned all the other stuff he's learned kickboxing and in the beginning he didn't have that mm-hmm. and that's why like nate marquardt knocked him out and all these other guys were, were able to beat him is he just didn't have those the stand-up skills mm-hmm. he didn't have all the other attributes of, of mma yeah. but that one thing he had honed to like sort of a mastery level whereas some guys never get to that in anything mm-hmm. they're really good at everything but they never get to a mastery level in anything yeah yeah and i i would i mean i I would say that that's probably me. I'm I'm good at a lot of different things. Um, maybe not a master in necessarily anything. Your stand up is pretty high level. Yeah, pretty pretty high level. Yeah, pretty high yeah, level. Yeah, you know, you stand up with pretty much anybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I put your stand up at a very high level. But you know, your submissions are very good too, man. But if you spent five years and did nothing but jujitsu mm-hmm. every day and started competing in the mundials and abu dhabi mm-hmm. and naga and all that shit and who knows what the fuck your jujitsu would be like which sounds awesome i mean yeah 
when I was coming up, Greg Jackson's gym now is very much a you know it's seen as kind of you know kickboxing strike lots and lots of striking some some uh, some wrestling some jujitsu but mainly striking right. Um, Back in the day when I first started with Greg and his his system and his affiliates, it was mainly uh, grappling school. It was Gaido Jitsu, right? Gaido, Gaido Jitsu, yes, That's sir. His, his style <laughs> that he had created. Yeah. Um, well, him and some other yeah. guys kind of got together and created this thing. Um, Does he still call it that, or is that n- no history? I, no, that's that's history, man. That's just that's, <laughs> that's old school stuff. I don't know how the fuck I still remember that. <laughs> um, but you know, a guy like Keith Jardine, who by the time he got into the UFC was kickboxing everybody. Mm-hmm. When I first met Keith, Keith was a jiu-jitsu guy. Man, he was competing and in the advanced level at you know, at these uh, uh, grapplers quest tournaments and that sort of thing, and then kind of got away from that. Mm. Um, and you know, I think my first twelve or, or twelve or thirteen wins or something were were by submission, and now I haven't had a submission in years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, we just got away from that, and I think the the sport kind of evolves and and then it comes full circle like it goes you know swings one way and then and Mm -hmm. then the other and you see that with fighters as well like paul felder's perfect example kids is excellent striker Mm -hmm. and he had a couple really close decision losses to barboza and ross pearson and then he wins his next fight by submission and Mm -hmm. attacked with another submission before he got the rear naked choke he almost got him in a guillotine like Mm -hmm. you see guys going hey there's other ways to fucking skin a cat like I, i gotta i gotta figure out how to be more predictable mm-hmm. or unpredictable rather and i think that that's one of the real problems with guys who are specialist strikers is that when you fight a guy who's a specialist striker you know that he's not going to be shooting on you so you're more relaxed mm-hmm. you know you can loosen your legs up a little bit you know your footwork your stance takes a different position because you're not you're not squared off always looking to sprawl and hit underhooks yeah, absolutely and you know you bring that up and that uh Makes me think about my last fight. You know, mm. I'm I'm a well-rounded fighter, but I sit out, I, I went in there and had a kickboxing fight with yeah. with, with, with Robbie. Um, well, I thought that would actually be to your benefit because what I said in the pre-fight thing was that you you issues you've had in the past with guys who've been able to hold on to you and grab you down <laughs> like Hendricks, uh-huh. and that that might be a, a benefit to you in the Robbie Lawler fight because fucking Robbie just he's a gladiator. Uh-huh. I mean that dude. He's so rare in that regard. Mm-hmm. He, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. That guy, you know, he is all bite down the mouthpiece and move forward. And he's got excellent technique and he's just fucking tough as nails. But he's a born fighter. Born fighter. He's, he's, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why that fight was so good yeah. between you guys. That last round, man. Jesus Christ! When the fucking round was over and you guys <laughs> both put your arms on the cage, you that was the that was the. The perfect example of leaving it all in the octagon. Yeah. You guys just emptied out the tank. You were on fumes. Mm-hmm. And then the buzzer rang, and you both did the same thing. When the fuck has that ever happened? Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened in a fight yeah. where the fight's over and both guys just walk to the cage. You didn't hug each other. You're like, that, that'll fucking happen later. I go, Look at this. Look at this picture right there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. you guys. That's fucking never happened, man. I've never seen that. I wasn't even beautiful. conscious of that at that point. I think I was... You know, oxygen deprived, hypoxic. Yeah. You know, probably mildly concussed from getting taken shots. <laughs> that was a fucking amazing fight. It was an amazing fight, and yeah. it was an amazing round. That fifth round was just goddamn chaos. I mean, that to me is 
all of the the scariest aspects of MMA as far as damage and you know what you guys are doing to each other and all the greatest aspects of MMA as far as like display of heart and courage and willpower and just determination because you had to be burning. I mean, everything. What was it like in there that fifth round? Um, I came out and, and I was I was feeling good. I think I came out and. and Finishing that fourth round, I, I finished strong. I almost almost had him finished. Um, in that fifth round, I knew that he was going to come out like you know, like, you know, like a bat out of hell. So I wanted to finish strong. And you never know with the with the judges. Right. I didn't know where I was. I felt like I was maybe up on the scorecards, but I'm like, fuck it, I need to go out there. And I started the round really, really strong, I think. And then he woke up and you know came on, turned on his beast mode like he does at the end of a lot of fights, and you know had had you know landed some some really heavy strikes. Um, but it was, just, I mean, we were just digging. I don't even remember. Honestly, I don't, I remember at certain points, I guess the only thing that I could, uh, uh, compare it to was like being in the ocean and having waves crashing on you and you're just getting your head above water just to get enough breath. And then boom, you're getting another one crashing down upon you and, um, you are, you know, out of breath, you're fucking struggling for survival and you know and you're just doing your best to fucking to, to, you know to, to come up a moment like that in a fight like that has got to be something that fuels you in a way that nothing else can when you're in the gym because you know that those moments can happen <laughs> like when you're thinking about slowing down in a strength and conditioning program or when you're doing rounds in the bag and you're thinking about slowing down that moments like thinking about that fight mm -hmm. i mean that has got to be yeah, yeah, that, that's something tangible that yeah. you can fucking grab onto when you're hitting those 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 points. You're hitting your 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 edge, and you don't know if you can go any any farther. That that sort of thing can can bring you through. You know, there's the debate in MMA, like what is the most important aspect of training? Is it strength and conditioning? Is it skill training? How do you how do you quantify that when it comes to a fight camp? And uh, one of the things that Nick Curson was saying when I talked to him about it is like he believes that when a fighter comes to him or when a fighter is preparing for a fight, they already have all these skills. They already know how to fight. They already know how to kickbox. They already know jujitsu. When it comes down to what a camp is, he believes that the the primary focus should be on physical preparation. Mm -hmm. The primary focus should be on getting your body to be able to perform at an extremely high output for a long time and recover quickly. And if you can get there, that the benefits of that are greater than the benefits of just consistently working on skill training and drilling and all these other things. Um, I think there has to be a balance because mm -hmm. you can be in phenomenal fucking shape ready to go five rounds and then step out and get knocked the fuck out that's in a couple of seconds. Too, right? Yeah. Um, that's so, true. And, or you could, you could freeze up, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. So I think the, 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 the mental aspect of it and the psychological aspect is super, super important. So do that, you drill anything like that? Do you, do you have a mental coach or do you have uh, visualization drills or anything along those lines? Um, I visualize, I do, but, um, man, I've done this quite a bit, you know, I, uh, a uh, coach I work with, Ricky Lindell, talks about bringing it to the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's about being a game day player. I love Ricky, by the way. He's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Man. Great grappler, super smart guy, yeah. and just cool as hell. Yeah. yeah, just Love yeah, that guy. Good all-around dude for sure. But um, being a game day player, you know, you get a, a lot of these guys in the gym there. Killers. World beaters. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, 
the bell rings, they're under the bright lights, and they just they wilt. Yeah, and the doubts and then come and then haunting get, home. Yeah, well, you, and then you get these other guys. You're like, really? He's he's fighting who in the UFC? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing him training. You're like, oh man, I don't I don't know how well this. I don't know if I want to watch this. He's a nice guy. He's gonna get worked. <laughs> and and then he goes out there, you know, and and does work. It rises to the occasion and, yeah. and accomplishes something that, you know, maybe you and maybe not even he realized that he could do. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to try to figure out where the balance, where the focus should be. And I think it's different for everybody, man. Yeah, it's no, different for everybody. Right, there's too. no there's no one answer. That's the thing about martial arts. Like I've heard some, I heard this guy talking about this once that it's not an art. You know that it's just people beating each other up, and I'm like, wow, that is such an ignorant thing to say. Because when you watch someone fight, you are watching art. It's just violent. It's a violent art. When I watch, like, your fight with Tiago Alves, you can't tell me that was an art. That was an artistic performance. Like, your interpretation of the movements in the moment to step in and blast that elbow, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's not beautiful to him or anybody who cares about him. <laughs> or, or his facial yeah, structure. Or, but yeah. that's... That's, um, it's beauty. There's beauty in that. There's beauty in that. And, and you know, there's beauty when he did that to Matt Hughes. Yeah. And when he hit Matt Hughes, that flying knee. It's, there's beauty in martial arts. There, there is. It's, uh, well, for, for me, it, it always has been a creative outlet. I can put together all these sequences and all these different things mm-hmm. in, in a way to solve a particular problem. Right. While something somebody else is trying to do the same mm-hmm. thing against me, and the margin for error is really fucking thin. Yeah, you know, if I if I zig when I should have zagged, mm-hmm. I'm catching a shin upside my head, and I'm you know, yeah, there's gonna be bone exposed, and, and um, you know, that's why this is a great thing. That's why yeah. that's why MMA is so fucking cool. It's so fucking cool to watch, but the the preparation for one night. Like the idea that you're, especially for a guy like you who came off of a knee surgery, you're out for a year, and then you have the, how, how you were out for more than a year before the Tiago fight, right? How yeah, long was it? Probably uh, sixteen months. So you have all this time building up to this one moment. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it to just? to just be in the moment when that happens and not be overwhelmed by the fact that so much of your future is riding on this. You're not entirely set for life financially yet. You know, there's all these different variables. You Mm -hmm. have a wife, you have a child, you have a family, you have obligations, you have all these things, but yet here you are preparing for this one completely just... It's like it just slips through your fingers. This moment, this moment that's just there that you cannot, you can't hold down, and you're you're sharing this moment with another trained killer, mm-hmm. and you're just locked into a cage, and your future rides on your success. Yeah, um, you know, I, I like to say that you know, fight day, you know that that night could be the best night of your life or the, or the worst, and you don't know fucking which one. And there's an incredible mix of emotions and I feel, I feel happy. I feel sad. I feel fucking nervous. I feel, um, uh, you know, elated to be, to be there and then fucking scared as shit. And I don't want to do this anymore. And I really just have to write it out and be, and, and 
trust in my training, trust in the preparation that I've done up to that point. Because, um, man, my mind and my emotions do all sorts of things. But I just have to know that I've done what I need to do in preparation um, for this fight, that I'm going to be all right. And that no matter what, I know that I will never give anything less than 100%, than, than my best. I, I will never give anything less than you know w- what you saw in, in that fight. Um, I may get knocked out. Um, but, or, you know, it may, may be an early night for me. It may be a terrible night, but that's out of my control. I, I gave, um, everything that I could to each, each round, uh, each training session, uh, each, each minute of, of, of the training camp so that, um, when I, when I step out there, I've done everything in my, my control to fucking win this fight and, and to compete to the best of my ability. Um, there's also the things that are out of your control you can't worry about that shit injuries like injuries the, the Tyron or, Woodley fight or catching that one that you don't see yeah you know and and you know shit happens but that's kind of the that's the uh it's the thrill of it does that make the highlights sweeter yeah. knowing that those those you know the, the bad moments are out there that they're possible oh yeah definitely I it's it, like I said, we're we're walking on a, a razor's razor's edge on this thing. I mean, it could it could be a phenomenal night. It could be a terrible night. Man, fuck, I don't know. Nobody's died in MMA at this point. But well, not I mean, in the UFC. Yeah, not in the yeah. UFC. But you know, that shit could happen. This is a, it's a tough thing. Well, what are your what's your feelings on weight cutting? Like, if you if you could be assured that the weight cutting would be out of the picture, like mm-hmm. let's just throw all the weight classes out. And let's just say, like, whatever, you, what do you walk around at, like, 185, 190, something like that? Uh, yeah, between 190, 195. If you could be assured that that is just, that's what your opponent's going to weigh, and that's what you're going to weigh, you don't have to cut any weight, would, do, wouldn't you think that that would be a better way to compete, to just completely eliminate that from the equation, just find out whatever is your natural healthy weight and compete at that instead of this insane thing that everyone's doing where they're, dehydrating themselves a massive percentage of your body weight sometimes as much as 10 percent of your body weight just Mm -hmm. getting sucked away in water to the point where you could literally only exist in that state for a short period of time a couple hours yeah yeah that's fucking bananas Mm -hmm. that that's a part of cage fighting that one day to me i i feel like the athletic commission's are sleeping on a potential time bomb. Yeah. They're just ignoring that this is a huge issue while they're concentrating on steroids and EPO and all these other things, which are real issues. Mm-hmm. Those things are un- unquestionably real issues. Mm-hmm. But just as big of an issue is massive dehydration 24 hours before a cage fight, mm-hmm. especially now that they've eliminated um, the IV rehydration methods and the fact that we know now there's medical science has proven that the brain does not rehydrate as fast as the rest of the tissue. Mm-hmm. It takes longer. It takes as much as 70 hours or, uh, yeah, 70 hours, to, which is fucking crazy for the, yeah, yeah to yeah. rehydrate your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting to see different proposals. I know that, one uh, uh, FC is doing mm-hmm. something, um, yeah, they've eliminated it. They, yeah, what are they? They're going to check your hydration levels. They're, they're going to eliminate weight cutting. Yeah, well, I know that they're doing the hydration levels on like a, a collegiate and high school wrestling, um, you know, uh, level. And 
I still I still know guys that are trying to game that system. Yeah. Well, yeah. let them try to game that system. Yeah. But if you can eliminate that and test hydration levels, and like imagine like a guy like Johnny Hendricks who never made it to the fight with uh, Tyron Woodley because of the weight cutting. Imagine them getting to a point where they check him. They go, Hey, man, you're fucking dehydrated. Yeah. You can't fight. Yeah. Like you you didn't make weight. Like you you're not where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I I'm on the side of health for fighters man. yeah and and these and guys taking care of themselves you know we're doing this for a very brief period of time in our lives and you know the repercussions long term from a lot of the a lot of the different stuff involved um including weight cutting uh you know this, this is gonna have long-term ramifications so for internal uh, organs specifically yeah. kidneys right yeah man and and i think it, it ages you man it, it, mm-hmm. it, it, especially if you're not doing it correctly, especially if you're not living a healthy lifestyle year round, all of a sudden, boom, I'm going to change the way that I eat so drastically that my body's going to freak the fuck out, which you see a lot of these guys. Mm. And then they don't make it to the, they don't make it to the weigh in because their system isn't used to eating like this. I'm right. used to, you know, eating a bunch of bullshit. And now I'm all of a sudden eating greens, which is good for you, but your body's still going to have this, this, this reaction to it. Period. Yeah. yeah. When you're not used to it. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would definitely like to see some change. Um, you know, if, if it benefits the health of fighters, I'm all for it. I don't think it could possibly not benefit them. I think that would be the biggest thing that we could do even more so than, I think what the, what Jeff Nowitzki and the UFC is trying to do with eliminating performance enhancing drugs is awesome. Yeah. I love the fact they're catching people. Yep. I can't believe that they caught Yoel Romero. Who would have thought that that guy was taking <laughs> steroids? That's crazy. <laughs> Who would have thought that? That's amazing. A couple of those guys, man. I would have never believed it. Him or (laughs) Hector Lombard was another one. Who saw that coming? That's nuts. Vitor Belfort? Are you kidding me? Nuts. Cyborg? Really? Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, it's it's awesome because, um, I mean, we're going to come to a point in time in the real near future where it's impossible to cheat. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty close to it now. They're pretty close to it now where they're so good at catching people, but they're they're also saving urine, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. Save urine and blood for eight years. Yep. To, so, to test it in mm-hmm. case they don't yeah. have a test that detects exactly. whatever it is you're testing at yep. this point. We're, we can test you down the down the way. Exactly. And, yeah. you, know, and you could you can come off high yeah. down the way, which is that is cool. They're super close to being able to catch you doing anything now. But what they're doing is they're coming up with all these little designer things and peptides, and that's what Yoel Romero got caught for, some designer peptide, which artificially increases your body's own production of testosterone. Mm-hmm. You know, So they're doing all this sneaky, weird shit mm-hmm. that used to be totally uh, undetectable mm-hmm. you know, five, six years ago or what have you. Yeah, well, that, I think that's what they've been doing for a long time, correct? Like they, it's been like an arms race mm-hmm. between the the dopers and the anti-dopers. Yes. Um, with I, I, that's what I understand with uh, um, Lance Armstrong. Mm-hmm. It was like a constant yeah. thing, man. They were it's like some some super sophisticated fucking programs to, yeah. to to beat these tests. Yeah, and with Lance Armstrong, one of the the interesting things was everybody was dirty. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like MMA where you have – there's a few guys that uh, – like Nowitzki, I think he said, calls it the smell test or the look test. Well, you look at them and you go, hmm, uh-huh. what the fuck's going on over there? Right. You know? But with uh, Armstrong, like none of those guys looked like Yoel Romero. They were just little skinny guys on bikes. Yeah. It's the nature you know? of the sport. Yes. And I think what they were – 
probably what they were taking is different than what fucking you know what, what right. these big muscled up uh, you know prize fighters are taking. Well, another important distinction uh, about these bans and about the banning of um, IV rehydration is now you can't blood dope mm. because they used to be able to blood dope. You used to be able to pretty pretty easy to just take your blood out and reinsert it into your Spend. body. You have more blood and you get the same sort of benefits that you would get with EPO. Mm -hmm. So you can't do that anymore because they'll, they'll be able to detect. They can actually detect plastics in the blood mm -hmm. that come from the bags and from the tubes. It's fucking nuts, man. That's wild, yeah. It's nuts. It's yeah. fucking crazy what they can do. I've heard, I've heard though, like in, you know, you know, we're talking about the arms race, that people can use uh, glass syringe. Gla a gl yes. Glass and then um, the vein, like uh, sterilized veins from animals. As what? their as their tubing. That's that's what, what I've heard. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. sausage casing and shit. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. That's fucking now they're gonna fuck check check for <laughs> pig veins and shit. <laughs> sausage yeah. casing. Oh that's, down the rabbit hole with all, like all yeah. that stuff. That's I mean Well Novitsky was telling me that they're they've now figured out a way to develop testosterone from animals. And it's uh, semi-theoretical at this point. We, they don't. They haven't caught anybody who's done it yet. And that might maybe one of the reasons why they're you know they're holding on to this blood for eight years. Mm -hmm. But he said they've figured out a way because right now I, I don't understand the process. But right now the way they develop artificial testosterone is through wild yams. Huh. They use Mexican yams. I, f I fucking don't understand it. But somehow through yams they can develop testosterone. The yams so, are manly. <laughs> Manly yams. Man. <laughs> I've always they, said they I am what I am. That's why Popeye, <laughs> Popeye knew he was ahead of the time. They make me feel manly. So sure. they've figured out a way through these carbon isotope tests uh, to, to detect that the testosterone in your body was non-endogenous, that it was exogenous, that it somehow came or another from came from, else. from yeah. something else. But they won't be able to do this right now, at least, with animal testosterone. Just wow. so fucking bizarre. Uh -huh. It will always be a, a race between yes. the, the the cheaters and those who control those. Uh, with the French uh, Tour de France mm -hmm. cycli cyclism, uh, biking, and uh, back in the, the early 20th century, they were doing it already. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then today, every Sunday, there is some competition somewhere, like a local short distance triathlon, and those, you know, Sunday athletes, and they dope. Yeah, they're saying that like they executives that want to like show off are taking yeah. EPO and entering in triathlons and winning them. Like so these, they can put that on their resume. Just jack to the tits on EPO, <laughs> which is really fucking dangerous. Apparently, <laughs> I don't understand EPO, but the way it's been described to me was that when you have so much extra blood in your system, there, there's a high risk of stroke. And that you have to mitigate the amount of EPO and the amount of blood in your system by constantly exercising. Like, you have to exercise. You have to drink water and exercise. Otherwise, your blood gets too thick. Wow. As we talk, millions of people are doing crazy things in their day-to-day -day life uh, mm -hmm. that are going to mess up with their brain, mess up with their whole ph physiology and mm -hmm. hormonal balance and stuff like that. And they're not getting paid to do it. They just do it out of whatever ignorance or laziness or... Uh, so why wouldn't these professional athletes, of course, some of them, especially in combat uh, sports, 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing, winning, winning a bike race is one thing, but not getting kicked in the head or being able to kick the guy in the head because you have that extra juice of energy. You know, when you're tired and you're in that fifth round, but you come out because you're on EPO and you're fucking Dominic Cruz stepping and throwing high kicks and the other dude is gasping for air. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where it becomes a huge issue. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking, you know, potentially life life and death. Sure. Well, the way I describe MMA is it's high level problem solving with dire physical consequences. And that's, and we, we've seen it we've all seen guys get flatlined. We've Mm -hmm. all seen people. I mean, you've done it to a bunch of guys inside the octagon, and it could have been you, you know? I mean, it's, it's a, a fucking nutty sport, and in this sport, the doping has just a much higher level of... It's, it's, Consequences. Yes. Ramifications. Ramifications absolutely. is absolutely. the right word. What's interesting to me, though, I'm absolutely anti-doping, but I'm pro the science involved in it, because what we're experiencing right now, what I believe is that we are in a period of time in human history where our understanding and the scientific understanding of the body and its mechanisms and all of the things that they can do to it is being sort of deciphered and tweaked and poked by all these various scientists. Although I believe that that should be outside of competitive athletics, we're going to get to a point in, you know, who knows, 10, 20, 30 years, where they're going to be able to genetically re-engineer human beings. Mm-hmm. And this is all going to be out the window. I think we're kind of experiencing the last years of natural competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gene doping yes. type stuff. Yeah. It's going to happen. I mean, they have this new thing uh, that they've uh, they, they've figured out how to do where they, because of, mo- this is really interesting Science, it's, it's called CRISPR, is what they've uh, developed, and there's, I, I'll butcher it if I try to give the scientific definition of it. But they can literally add genes and, and manipulate genes, mm-hmm. and they're doing so in small animals and you know, m- small multicellular organisms, and they're, they're getting it to uh, a point where they really understand it. And they're saying that in China, they're starting to do this with human beings, wow. and they're starting to fuck with it and test it. And, you know, you might see some Chinese Wolverine-type dudes <laughs> in the next 20 years, and you'll know, well, that, that kid's the product of these Chinese uh-huh. experiments, oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what they used to call Corellin. They used to call Corellin the experiment. Because if you've ever seen Corellin's family, his mother and father are like five foot six. Yeah. They're like these tiny people. And Corellin was this fucking monster of a wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do you know who we're talking about? Alexander Corellin? I've never heard of him, though. Undefeated wrestler. I mean, he lost one time to Rulon Gardner, but the only reason why he lost is they changed a rule. They changed the rule that this is Greco so crazy, whereas if you release your grip, if someone gets you to release your grip, it's a point, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. And that's how Gardner beat him. Like, he couldn't do anything to him, yeah. but he got Corellin... Towards the end of his career, you know, I mean, he'd been wrestled forever, but he would, he was so scary that guys would try to flatten out to keep from getting thrown by him because he was so strong that he would take these men, 280 pound men, and he would just go under them while their belly down flattened out on the mat, just praying they don't get taken for a ride. And he would lift them up and throw them through the air with all his weight and their weight, boom, coming down on them. So he's essentially knocking them the fuck out with the mat uh-huh. where everybody else was wrestling. 
You know, he was wrestling as well, but he was also hitting you with the world. <laughs> you know, it's, it was crazy. Yeah. And no one knows how he got so fucking big. In history of sports, there are always these, these freak of nature, these ex completely exceptional mm -hmm. athletes in a, in, a in a given sport. Sure. But with what you say and the, the manipulations they're going to be able to do on, on physiology, maybe using na nanotechnologies or indeed uh, uh, genetic modifications, uh, they might be able to replicate, to clone those, those freaks of, of science. Oh, they're going to. Wait, wait, if, if, if it doesn't happen in our lifetimes, right. it will happen in our children's lifetimes. It's right. going to happen. Mm -hmm. Science doesn't stop. I mean, it's, if you go just go back 40, 50 years, what they were able to do if you had a knee surgery. You know, like you're talking about your knee graft. Yeah. They, you were fucked yeah, back nothing. then. You were fucked. Yep. You were crippled. Bum knee. Yeah, that's just 50 years ago. That's, in, that's inside of a, a living person's lifetime. Yeah, well, 20, 25 years ago yeah. or less, they, they weren't able to do this one that I had successfully. Yes. And My friend Steve Graham was on the U.S. ski team, and he's had some fucking insane number of surgeries. I, I, I want to say he's around 18 knee surgeries. He's, he has his knees capped. Like, I'll, I'll show you this. So you'll, you'll fucking freak out. <laughs> he has his knees resurfaced. The tops of his knees are, um, it's all steel. It's fucking bizarre, man. <laughs> it's, so, it's so freaky to look at. But he came around uh, when they were doing all these experimental surgeries. They just, they just couldn't, they just didn't know how to do it. They just were taking all these risks. And here it is right here. I'm going to show you this. This is fucking freaky. That's the surface of the inside of his Ooh. knee. So he has no more cartilage. Wow. And uh, all the meniscus is gone as well. So if you see that white thing down there, uh -huh. that's artificial meniscus. Okay. That's uh, and... like a pad that they put in place. So they put this artificial pad yeah, in I'm place. Yeah. Then they have the tops of the knee, the top of the femur. Uh -huh. And... And it's, that glides up yeah, on the yes. on the, the plastic. Piece. It looks exactly. like an abstract painting to me. <laughs> it's fucking chaos. It's like dinner. Yeah, mm. I I told him, dude, you gotta send me this after you get the, your latest operation because he's had so many operations. He was so chewed down to the wire that this is this is the the latest sort of fix. Yeah, that's wild, man. It's fucking crazy, yeah. and he's had multiple ACL surgeries on both legs, MCL, just the whole deal meniscus scopes and this and that there's nothing left they, they predicted that uh so many years ago when i was a kid uh steve austin whatever yeah, the name Bonic was man uh, right <laughs> it was fascinating by them yeah but, well we're close to that i mean they're putting artificial hips in people and mm -hmm. having them being more right. more durable than the natural hips yep they're also using uh exoskeletons yes uh, they, especially in japan they're really big on all these robotics uh, i got innovations. in one of those and I got an exoskeleton. I found it beautiful uh, for people who really need it. Uh, yes. You had a very serious accident. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not your responsibility or uh, you, you come back from war. And right. you need that, that kind of assistance. In that case, I believe it's beautiful. Yes. But my, my concern is that this kind of new technology is going to be available to uh, millions of people who basically don't give a crap about their body. Their body has become completely uh, alien to themselves, and they neglect it, and they, they let it deteriorate. You could, you could think about it that way, or you I could do. say, you know what, man, it's just technology. 
it's it could be used or abused. I mean, like cars. I mean, cars could be used to get places, or you could be a fat fuck and they could just wheel you over to your car and yeah. you ooze your way into the car and they push you in and it's, shut the door. Then the, the car drives you around because you're too it's, fucking lazy. It's the balance, and yes. I think in our society. We always go too far. Yeah, it's sure. like that, that exoskeleton for your body becomes what the 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 shoe is to your foot. Yes. and I think that's your your point. That's a very good is, is that your 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 foot is going to um, atrophy, yes. or your your body is going to atrophy because you have you know your foot has this artificial arch. But but from like birth, like in Wally. You know, uh, oh, for, like, like you, love that movie. You, 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 and then you're like, the thing is that, yeah, it's freedom, it's individual freedom. You do whatever you want. Completely agree with that. But ultimately, it becomes the norm. It becomes mm -hmm. something that's not shocking anymore. Yes. Like uh, in the the Wally world, uh, the, the, that movie, in the end, not being able to even stand, let alone to walk, is not shocking. It's it's the norm. It's just something normal. My grandma was able to walk a little, a few steps. Wow, she was extremely fit. You know, that we ultimately, through generations, we changed the norm. And so, yeah, I won't be there, you won't be there, and we won't be there. Yeah. But someone, I'd like to know that we're going in, in a good direction, in a healthy direction, not to I don't some know kind if, of I don't know crazy if it is world. A, it's definitely crazy. I don't know if it is a bad direction. But if we went back to single-celled organisms, like, oh, look at these pussies with their multiple cells. Back when I was a fucking kid, you had to have one cell <laughs> so, and you were happy. So I don't think I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's how how it's applied. Yes. You know, and and is it beneficial? Is it um, right? Is it detrimental? And what what is the implication on like mm -hmm. a societal level on like an overall thing? We can look at tech technology, you know, the technology in general in in that respect. Um, I, I like to see that as a as a an, as options as additional benefits to our current society right. and culture. It means that let's imagine utopia, like a, a society where every individual would be would consider their, their own health and movement ability as somewhat their personal biological duty. Mm -hmm. So they would really make sure that they stay strong, they stay healthy, they, they can move, they're, they're, they're in shape, they're sharp physically and mentally. And on top of that, whenever needed, they would punctually and wisely use those technologies. Then that would be an enhanced lifestyle in society. But when you have people, it's just there to support people who have voluntarily disempowered themselves, degenerated right. themselves. Then I, I, I don't, I don't like well, the direction where that would be going. Aren't we basing that on the current paradigm, though? If we keep moving in the same direction, it's entirely possible that you're not going to need to be in shape or get in shape. You're just going to be in shape. You're going to have something that they've invented whether it's some sort of a biotechnology or what have you, where you never get out of shape. You're always physically fit. Your body regenerates tissue. If you lose an arm, it grows back. Yes and, and no. It doesn't mean, because here's the problem, you won't be the master of a technology. Somebody else will. The same way, it's like if you, everybody you stops growing, if everybody stop growing their food. Mm -hmm. So when you're hungry, you need that food to be delivered to you, to be produced for you. If at some point the production of food is in the hands of a very little, very few people, mm -hmm. there's no freedom anymore. Okay, I so see. So you say, yeah, but it allows you to be always strong, always fit, always healthy. Yeah, but the technology is in the hands of the few people. And when they want to take it back... That sounds like some Illuminati type <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, 
But it's it's, yes. it's 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 that you don't have to go into a conspiracy theory to think right. about. Do you are you in control? Is it yes. something that you can fix yourself? Like uh, when you have a car or a, a bow or mm-hmm. uh, something, can you fix the technology yourself? Does it belong to you? Do you control it or not? I think you're talking about in pr- things in practical sen- in a practical sense, and I agree with you in a practical sort of a pragmatic approach. Yeah. I'm extrapolating a hundred years from now when all it's nonsense because I'm saying there's going to become a time in the future where there are no natural athletes because there's no natural people. We're probably yeah, we're just a few years away from being symbiotically connected to electronics. Uh-huh. We're pretty close now with phones you leave the house without your phone you freak out uh-huh. very few people live without a car you know you have your navigation system to get you around i only remember like three or four phone numbers now when i was a kid i remembered everybody's number mm-hmm. i could be able to call my friends right. i could be able to call my house i fucking barely know my own home number now when i was so i give someone my cell phone number after think you know, I have to think about that number. So you give, you you do give up some of your control. You, you give do, up but some you of get your... Google. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get all sorts of good shit as well. I I think true. And the bad shit that comes with it, yes. though. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So you know yeah. what? Fifty years ago, they started, or maybe longer. I don't know. Uh, they started making uh, fucking processed foods, and mm-hmm. that was like the best thing ever. Oh my god, we don't have to fucking cook our food anymore. We could throw, you know, we could have it made for us in a factory, and we just throw it in the oven, and it's done. Yeah. Boom! This is the greatest thing ever. You know, fast forward, you know, thirty, forty years, and now we're fat and unhealthy <laughs> yeah and our and you know in our trans fats our, and our national gdp and... is, you know for for our health care is fucking am, you know or, or our health care cost exceeds our fucking gross domestic product for the fucking united states and and we're just you know it, yeah it, there's there's good parts of it yeah they made they probably made food safer in a sense less people are dying from fucking listeria outbreaks and that sort of thing but on the flip side of that now we're really fucking sick and fat i 100 percent agree with you carlos because it's not like you could say wait that's we won't be very when this will happen there will be some uh, adverse consequences to all this to all this but we won't see it it's already here it's already yeah. altering people's life today as we speak. The people who are listening to us, maybe you know, suffering from this and that. They don't even know why. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're surrounded by thousands and thousands of chemicals in all your hygiene products that you know that you breathe, that go through your pores, that go in your system, that alter your hormonal homeostasis uh, uh, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you're eating GMO. Maybe it's, everything is altered in your day-to-day life, and you see it as something normal. It means you don't see it basically and mm. doesn't doesn't bother you you're not conscious of it but it does bother you in how well you live well and and ultimately somebody's profiting off right of it. Mm-hmm. you know then that's the thing is with, with with any of this stuff i mean it will become the norm if somebody's profiting off sure. it. If, they, if they can sell it to you if they can if they can convince you that this is better whether it is or whether it's not but you know through you know whatever they're already selling water to us <laughs> maybe they'll sell air to us well, pure air aren't they in some places I mean, can't you buy canned air right. in china i mean think they buy canned air with a little mask on it you suck and the canned air and I, I, feel i've good done about that in, 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 uh, in japan air, actually it's pretty wild. made my made my veins blue what it's wild yeah what yeah yeah, because you had so much like, pure oxygen, you could get it at like Seven Eleven over there, <laughs> next to the this, this weird squid hot dogs. Just Whoa! Brrr. 
I did uh, an oxygen bar once in Vegas. Uh, they uh, remember they used to have yeah, those. Yeah, you, they're you, probably still around. I think they do. Uh -huh. You put like a little pipe up your nose, and I'm uh -huh. supposed to be like, "What yeah. am I supposed to be getting out of this?" Yeah, uh -huh. it's like one of those oxygen things you see old smokers roll around yeah. with. Yeah, totally. And the thing goes up your nose. These little tubes go up your nose, and we're sitting there going, "Okay, what am I supposed to feel? A oh, sense of euphoria, yeah. a lot then, of extra energy." And the cute chick that works there yeah. who comes up yeah. and rubs your back uh, and does that weird thing on your scalp, and you kind mm. of feel, "Shit, I felt good." <laughs> But it would I come. It would come to. to your mind to do something like that if you're in the mountain and the air is pure, yes. surrounded by trees. Why? Why on earth would you try to put some whatever oxygen in your in your brain? You don't need it. Well, that's one of the things that I love about forests and trees is right. that the, that you can physically feel the difference in the air because trees literally absorb carbon dioxide and express oxygen. oxygen. Yeah. They produce oxygen. You breathe it in. It feels. My better. point is that you need these. Enhancements when you already live in, within an environment that is a tremendously deteriorated, right? Completely altered. Then you're like, oh my god, I need better air, I need more natural food. I, mm -hmm. I, I need to try to make my even my 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 house a bit more complex so that it it stimulates my movement and things like that. Right. That's because you're already out of a universally, I would say, universally natural environment. Right. Comprising right. not just where you are, but what you eat, how you breathe, the light, and even your own, your own behaviors, how much you sleep, uh, how you think, all of that is behavior uh, and environment. Right. And all that will impact you positively or not in terms of how, how you look, how well you perform, how you feel. It, it all matters. All yeah. these variables matter. What, when, what is your diet like when you're training? Do you have someone who monitors that stuff? Do you have a dietitian that you work with or anything? Um, so I worked with uh, I worked with my Dolce for this last camp, this last cut. Um, I met Mike when I was when my knee was 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 hurt, and I was in re recovery for that. Um, was doing some seminars. He was going and doing these talks at some military bases on you know, diet, nutrition, holistic living. And, um, they brought me out, you know, as the special guest or whatever. And I, and I, you know, I spoke on it too, but, uh, our, our philosophies on, on food and nutrition clicked. I mean, they were, they're pretty much aligned. We have a little bit different approaches. Um, I started learning about, uh, nutrition from, a, a strength, excuse me, a strength and conditioning coach when I was about 19 years old. Up to that point, it was like, it was, you know, whatever. I, I fucking was eating, you know, off the dollar value meal at, at Wendy's. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do, when, during the time you're, like, fighting in the WEC or the no, UFC? No, no, this or? was before then. This before was I was that. fighting okay. in, like, little little casinos out in okay. the middle of the desert now in New Mexico and, like, making $200 for a fight. If you know, you're at, lucky. At a 400-person venue. Um, and, yeah, so it was like, oh, if I only eat half of this four-piece nuggets, I'm definitely going to make weight tomorrow. <laughs> and Yeah, and and... You know, yeah, I vividly remember those days. Anyway, got with this guy, and he just kind of taught me the basics. You know, basically taught me taught me about macronutrients, and he mainly uh, trained bodybuilders, um, but gave me some basics. And then since since that point, um, I've you know uh, through my own practice, through my own practical applications of running through these training camps, running through um, um, these, these weight cuts, um, and and you know, absorbing information, going out there and looking at information myself, um, have kind of figured it out on pretty much on my own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I cook, I, I fucking love to cook. That's like my, my hobby. And so that 
helps out because you know I'm I'm cooking as you know for fun like kind of as a as a cathartic thing after I'm training but it it works well because I'm you know cooking the the nutrient dense food that I need to perform and to train and to make weight and to be a, a high level athlete. I saw that you and Erwan were working on bow hunting exercises. Uh-huh. Do you do you do bow hunting? Uh, yes, I, I started started bow hunting three years ago. I have yet to fucking kill anything. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. I'm, I'm very much a novice. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, you know, I'm learning and, uh, is anybody teaching you? Uh, yeah, I've gone with some guys, um, some, some older guys that are my dad's age. My dad's not an outdoorsman at all. Um, you know, he likes to fish, but you know, he doesn't go farther than about 20 feet away from his car to fish. So this, all this stuff, Erwan, if you could back that up a, a bit, please, Jamie, to that, to that bow hunting thing that you just sh- showed, what is exactly is involved in, uh, these, uh, bow hunting exercises that you got him doing? So that was in between the two camps that we did together. And uh, uh, Carlos already knew that he was going to fight uh, Robbie Lawler. Shooting um, lefty, huh? But it was uh, somewhere. No, I shoot right. We were just, just fucking around both for, ways. For, yeah. Yeah, it was somewhere uh, late September, if I remember well. And um, New Mexico is the best spot to hunt elk yep. next to Colorado. I was like, New Mexico and Colorado are the spots in this country. Yep. New Mexico is the best place to just live. Really? <laughs> yeah. You think? Well, no. Let's let's not get on the that. Let's keep it a secret. What? What? Why do you say that? Um, Diego Sanchez lives there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yes. The beauty, the 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 landscapes. But but again, it's uh, all the people will prefer another place. But yeah. but there's a certain energy. You know, I, some places resonate with you yes. more than others. Me, I I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Never never left, and then find uh, Jessica, the, you know, my soulmate, and. Uh, and everything is beautiful there. And well, you you look nature. like Jesus. It's a perfect place to live. Santa Fe, it's a lot of hippies. You got a, a scarf on, even though you're indoors. It's I'm, a perfect I'm, I'm, place. I'm European. I can't afford it. Whatever. You know, I'm French. So, what do you say to that? Yeah, what uh, do you say to my scarf? Right. Fuck you. Uh, uh, but uh, so, but, but we, you love you love New Mexico, though. You're love saying. New Mexico. So, I'm, I need I'm to get a, there. I'm a. I'm a New Mexican now. I can't really? say, you know, How I, you I can't say now? like they say, uh, born here all my life, but yeah, you uh, definitely don't sound like it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I have a, a profound love for this land. Uh, there, where I live, it's surrounded by 19 pueblos, so native Indian energy, which I really relate to. And um, oh, so you can go and see like these ancient sites where they used to live? You yeah. can, you can. They still, they still live there in some of them. Oh, wow. yeah, straight up. Yep. Right, uh, like in the mountains, like uh, tucked into the mountains. Uh, the, yeah, uh, well, the yeah. Uh, There's lots of these reservations. Mud, these also. mud, kind of old school, right. like like uh, Stone Age apartment kind of buildings, and they Whoa. and they have Cold. cable, and now they have um, cable. Yeah, yeah. They well, they got yeah, they got satellites hanging off the side of them now. And what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Man. Oh my yeah. god, that's yeah. insane. If, if you ever come out to New Mexico, I'll take you by Acoma, bro. Dude, I'm going. Wild. I've been Wild. thinking about going to New Mexico and doing a show there for a while. Yeah. I want to want to do something, and probably Albuquerque is a good place to go, right? Albuquerque or Santa Fe? Where should I go? Uh, Santa Fe's an hour away, so come oh. to Albuquerque, and then boom, okay. boom. And there's a lot of stuff right around. Mm. Come hunt. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, there's there's the the Apache Jicaria, Apache Mescalero, sh- Apache reservations. It's it's still there. It's really 
A lot of cool R- stuff. That energy. A lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. But it's a secret. Let's not talk about it. Too late. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so with regards to the the bow hunting stuff, right. honestly, the stuff that we were doing wasn't a whole lot different than uh, what we were working on for the training camps. You know, mm-hmm. we were working um, foot, ankle, knee, hip stability in um, complex environments, in walking on you know walking on logs or navigating different terrain while staying aware of my surroundings. You know, if I'm fucking sitting there looking at my feet and stumbling over myself and and worrying, re, you know, so much about being quiet and where I'm standing, fuck, I might miss, miss a goddamn, you know, something, something right there. Mm-hmm. And um, feeling with your feet, uh, a saying that, that uh, Irwin has that, that helped me out quite a bit is kind of a, a coaching cue is put your mind in your feet um, so that I'm looking here and I'm aware of, what's going on around me but i can feel where i'm going boom i i did you know, i i hunt in like a, a like minimal boots so i can you know i can feel if i'm about to crack that uh, that stick and make that you know what kind of boots you are like a uh, lightweight they're they're called the ones I, I use are called mini mill um and they are how do you spell that uh m-i-n-i-m-i-l-l i think is is what it is and they're they're dope man so i think initially uh, the 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 Vibram's five fingers came into vogue in, mm-hmm. in the military. They they loved it, right? And everybody was all about the uh, the the minimal footwear. Right. Um, but if you go too minimal too fast, you're gonna hurt your feet because our feet, just our, not bo- our bones, our it. tendons, our muscles right. are atrophied from being in basically casts. In yes. Uh, yeah. For for you know our our entire life, and all of a sudden. I'm going to go run a couple miles like I did in these supportive shoes, and you're going to get stress fractures. You're going to get all kinds of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the military, uh, a couple of the branches banned the banned the five-finger uh, shoes or the five, yeah, that's what they're called. Because right? people are getting hurt? Because, five yeah, f- f- foot injuries. Foot wow. injuries. Lots, lots. Um, because people, people's bodies and physiology are uh, just not ready structurally. It's you have to work your way up to it. Everything's atrophied, indeed. This, yeah, this guy runs, you know, runs barefoot throughout you know, through the mountains. You run shit. barefoot? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't wear any shoes at all? No. Well, sometimes, Rarely. but it depends on what I do. But I do train also to uh, be barefoot because it, it makes you extremely sharp uh, mentally. You have to be extremely focused to just not injure yourself right. and to be extremely adaptable. So it doesn't just train. People think, oh, okay, so it's going to make your uh, the sole of your foot tougher. What about that? What's special about that? But that's not the point that's not it's there's much yeah. many more benefits beyond just making your feet tougher it's so fascinating that when in the invention of the running shoe which what they thought was an advancement oh we're going to put cushioning it'll save people's bodies the wear and tear and it actually wound up fucking people up and getting more injured the food is a masterpiece there's nothing to change about about it the human food is a masterpiece yeah and uh yeah you try to Come up with some science, cutting science uh, shoes, footwear. It, it's bullshit. Well, it also you just need minimal. You just need minimal protection to uh, avoid abrasion and, and punctures and things like that. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you need to let the work, uh, the foot work as naturally as possible. And if you don't, then you will make your feet weaker. Right. It will. It will. It will shrink it. It will n- numb it. But then on the, on the flip side of that coin. I can't. My feet aren't strong enough to just go and run as I would normally 
in completely minimal shoes. I have to kick back. I have to kick back the intensity and the distance. Um, so if I really want to get a really hard, hard run in and, and, and get, get fatigued, I need, I, I throw on some, some regular old running shoes, shorter distances. I'm, I'm like specifically training my feet and, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, conditioning my my tissues and everything to be able to do that and that's you know that's kind of a a, a distinction and 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 moving so i don't hurt myself right. mm. moving moving barefoot in wild environments is not um it's not mandatory to people say want to mandatory uh, mandatory <laughs> well forgive my forgive <laughs> no, my okay. french i just uh, when i have to do the math in my head as to what you said i feel like i have to clarify for the people listening all right all it's right okay. well thanks that's good thanks um yeah you don't have it's it's not Mandatory. 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 <laughs> Mandatory. Thanks, Joe, for correcting my, right. my flawed English. It's very uh, good English. It's way but, better than my French. <laughs> um, you you start you start uh, resetting your body in a in a in a more uh, natural way through these natural movement patterns, and you can do that in indoors environment, even wearing some minimal footwear. And then you remove the footwear, and then you start to expose the body through this natural movement on more challenging, more complex environments. Ultimately, if you want to, you can become, you can go through these more, say, you know, badass trainings where it's like the real deal. You're in the wild. There are maybe cactus and sharp stones and all kind of things, and 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 still you you can do that. But that doesn't mean that you have to do that right away, or that you ever have to do that. Right. Um, uh, the bow hunting practice was, yeah, the, these balancing movements, the point was not just the movement itself is when you move in complex environments, there are also situations. If, for instance, you're hunting, your goal is to catch the game. So you need to be aware of what's going on. You need to avoid being detected and you need to look and scan your surroundings and be as light as possible, as silent as possible. If you're already in trouble with your movement, if you're already struggling with your movement, how much of your brain activity and awareness is going to be dedicated to the situation itself, which is the hunting part? Right. Because the, 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 the movement part in the, in the environment part is already, it's not there. You are struggling. Uh, it's not just a matter of, oh, I have some cardio, so I'm good. No, well... Maybe you have a hard time just kneeling, right. just getting up and getting down, mm -hmm. let alone in a supple, silent, smooth way that is not detec detectable. So well, that, bow that hunting kind in of particular, things we're training. Bow yeah. hunting in particular sort of experienced this uh, most recently, um, this fitness uh, mo movement where a lot of guys are getting in extremely good shape to be able to run the mountains to, so that they can hike long distances and not be fatigued and so that they can take shots like and have some mobility where you can be on your knees and for long periods of time you might be have to be held at full, full draw while an animal's looking at you after having run up a, a mm -hmm. hill exactly. and you're, oh, you're fatigued yeah. Yeah, yep. and it's yeah. the difference between being successful and not being successful, I mean in today's day you could still go to the supermarket but ultimately what it means is whether or not you can eat or not eat so you have to be in physical shape to be able to do that kind of hunting and a lot of it is at high altitude so you're right. trudging through the mountains so, with low so both, oxygen both the body and mind have to deal with so many diverse variable changing and that's yes that's again that's adaptability 
it's yeah. it's about adaptability uh, i got the the, the chance or uh, to to train the the seals in coronado and these guys are well number one they are gentlemen they're real good good people but uh they are extremely fit from the the stance uh, the standpoint of how much they can run how much they can endure but i would challenge them with very simple movements such as some of the movements we've trained together with Carlos uh, the when you are in that split squat position and you pivot reverse your orientation from forward to backward uh, and while maybe holding a, a stick that represents uh, a rifle or a bow or it could right. be a camera if you're shooting photos so if you're struggling with that movement you have imbalances how much, again, of your situational awareness can be dedicated to the situation at hand, right. at stake? That, right? That's a good point. Because you're surviving the movement. Like, Whoop, oh, excuse me. And then right. for stay, sp- stay close to the mic. Oh, all right. Sorry. And then for a split second or f- maybe for a little longer, uh, you're in trouble. So uh, in, in, in a cage situation, it's very similar because you need to always keep an eye on your opponent. So you need that situational awareness. While also not having to think exclusively at how you move. So the more uh, comfortable your movement, the more fluid, the more second nature it becomes, then the more attention your brain can dedicate to the situation and to the adaptability, the range, the timing, all of these subtle little adaptations. And your brain is in charge. Your brain commands, not the body. So the body needs to be able to uh, to to uh, to move uh, in, in highly reliable way. Ultimately, that it is the movement itself or the situational situational um, awareness. It all boils down to the brain. What I was getting at before with the the bow hunting is, uh, and with regards to your diet, like, do you eat wild game or do you get like what? I do. Yeah. Um, mainly, I eat. Uh, grass-fed, free-range meats. Um, I get as much wild game as I can. Like I said, I didn't kill anything the last two years, but the people that I I did go with did. They they harvested elk. Um, So, you know, we all share the meat. Um, So, yeah, I I eat as as much wild game as possible because I feel like that's, I mean, that's about as pure as you can get. Yeah, it really is healthy, too, when you eat it. It does have, like, a different effect on your body. You can feel it if if you're... health conscious and if you're aware of what you're taking in on a regular basis you're mm-hmm. sort of aware of how your body reacts mm-hmm. you'll see you'll feel different when you eat wild game it's yeah. just more nutrient dense yeah yeah and and there's you know there's other aspects to it man when you when you s- see the animal die or you kill the animal there's just a, a sense of gratitude I feel like for this thing giving its life to nourish your body as opposed to buying something in a nice little neat package with fucking saran wrap mm-hmm. over it. You don't even, you don't really think that a life was, you know, was separated um, to give you to, to nourish your body. Right. But when you when you go out and you, you see it or it's, you know, it's in front of you, you realize, you know, that you're a little bit more connected to what you're putting in your body. And I think that disconnect is a part of the um uh, the, the the problem with our with our our food you know i guess sickness our food culture that we you know that we're yeah that we're experiencing these days the gratitude is certainly an aspect of it and also the connection just mm-hmm. a, an understanding a real understanding of what happened how you got there what what this meal is yep. and it just it has it feels better it feels better to eat it yeah yeah, it, it's a mix of things. You actually feel as mm-hmm. opposed to yes. just not even 
thinking about not it. Not even and just, ah, ah, yeah. Yeah. just Oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike Dolce, you were saying, uh, works with you for or worked with you for this last camp. Mm-hmm. What was the difference? Like, what what different things did you eat, and what uh, what approach did you take? Did you do any blood work to examine your nutrient levels? I did not. I didn't do any blood work. Um, the difference was. We didn't change what I was eating. We changed the structure and the timing of when I was eating. Um, I I was kind of, uh, you know, I, did, I didn't have much of a structure. I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm eating the right things. Um, I'm, I'm good. Um, he... He's like, okay, well, no, th- this is this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna, you know, you're gonna do. You're gonna sit down and you, you're gonna eat till you're full. Every three hours, you're gonna have to do feedings. You're not gonna kind of snack and graze here and there, which is what I was doing. Um, and uh, dude, it it increased my energy levels um, immensely. I why? Felt, how so? In what way? I, I felt awesome. So I, I don't know why. I don't know the physiology behind it, but mm. um, I think it's uh, uh, hormonal. I think I so after I would eat these big meals, boom, I would get uh, I would get tired. I, right. I would get like a, a, a in, kind of insulin dump, you know, be tired for a little while. But the next time I went to train, like I just felt like I had had more fuel, um, you know, m- more energy, more sustenance uh, for these training sessions, um, and uh, uh, my weight cut was I, I've never had a weight cut as as easy as that. We were eating, you know. F- full large meals right up until the night or even the night night before weigh-ins what i was i was i was i came down so quickly and i i kind of have a weird deal man i i feel like my body i've i've cut weight so many times i have you know 40 plus professional you know fights you know between kickboxing and and, and mma and i think my body just kind of knows it just drops even mike's like dude i've kind of never worked with an athlete that just boom boom it's just it's just on a schedule it just my my weight drops um and uh yeah but i felt i felt amazing i felt good in the fight i think i looked good in the fight i performed well um the the cut was the cut was awesome so you're eating big meals fa- fa- i mean fairly big, relative relatively mm-hmm. big meals how many calories have they counted out so i would say i would have probably a uh, an eight ounce portion of uh, of salmon, um, probably a cup of white rice, and then a good amount of vegetables. Um, you know, we're talking about you know several times a day. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting because most people think of weight cuts being that you know you severely restrict the amount of calories you have. Your body starts to go into ketosis or what have you, mm-hmm. starts absorbing fat instead of. Uh, Instead of carbohydrates, you dehydrate yourself then after that, and that's how you get to that state. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one way to do it, mm-hmm. um, and I've definitely done that way before. I've done it a bunch of shitty What's ways. What's the worst way you've ever done it? <sighs> just, Not the chicken nuggets way, but I mean, like, as, <laughs> as an... But right around that same time, mm-hmm. uh, not not eating, I remember, so... My f- my first kickboxing fight ever, I fought a guy named Andy Sauer. I don't know if you're sure. familiar with Andy That was Sauer. your first kickboxing first, fight? First kickboxing what fight ever. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Who's had- your manager? <laughs> <laughs> How uh, long had Andy been fighting then? He, his, he already- his record at the time, I 62 remember. 62 and 4 or n- something? 93 and 1. Oh my God, that's so insane! Ninety three and one, and I was your first kickboxing fight. Oh my God! So I was twelve and zero as an MMA as an MMA oh fighter. Oh my God! I was nineteen years old. Um, I had maybe one or two 
amateur boxing fights, and I had been training him. I had been training kickboxing for a long time. But anyway, I go but out to. He had ninety what ninety how many? Ninety three and one. I remember. Oh my god! <laughs> how, what fucking governing body sanctioned that? Uh, it was in Japan. Oh, I, I was basically I was I was the guy that they were bringing in, in Japan. Exactly, I was the guy that they were bringing in for the slaughter. Oh my god! And uh, I, I show up out there, and I'm only I think I remember I was only like eight pounds out, and we didn't know what the fuck we were doing with with regards to the weight cut at the time. I was 19, and so I'm like, oh shit! And I just stop eating. I just didn't eat for about. Four days. Oh no! Yeah. yeah. Oh no! That's so. Meanwhile, eight pounds ain't shit. That like ain't today, shit. I'll, I'll do that. Like I'll the, do that. Yeah. <laughs> the day before, yeah, eight quick. pounds. You're like, oh, we're good. Yep. Exactly. Still, still eating. It's one day in the well. sauna. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh nothing. my god. And so I starved myself for about four days. And were you checking your weight while you're starving yourself? Yeah, I think I was. I don't. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but. It was same day weigh-ins too. Oh Christ! I, I weighed in in the morning oh, and then fought God. about maybe eight or nine hours later. Oh my That's God! And uh, I went five rounds with him. Wow! I, I went. I I it, it I got I got my ass kicked. I got my ass kicked, but I I, I learned a lot and I grew from the experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine. Holy yeah. shit! Andy Sauer's a legend. Yeah. Yeah, that is so he, crazy. He, that was your first kickboxing he, he, fight. He TKO'd me with 17 seconds left to go. He uh, chopped my he had chopped my legs down s- to the point where I couldn't even stand. I was falling through the ropes. I was all fucked up. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome though, man. It was, it was dope. <laughs> it was cool shit. I, I went back in. I, I came back to Albuquerque. I went down down to the gym. These guys that had been kind of throwing me around up to that point. I specifically remember Diego Sanchez. I mean, at the time, he's like king of the cage champion. He's like the man in New Mexico, man of Jacksons. And, you know, he always gave me a, you know, a really, really, really tough fight at, or tough sparring, sparring matches at, at the point. And after I went through that experience, it was just kind of like, ah, you can't do shit to me. Wow. It's just nothing. Just changed you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, what a fucking crazy matchup that is. Yeah. That's criminal. You yeah. should find out whoever matched you up and go beat their ass. <laughs> I know. I know who did it. I'm glad. I, I shake their hand. You know that it, it, that that shaped me. You yeah. Know? Well, for you, for a guy like you, you yeah. could handle it. But yeah. goddamn, that could have. And I think they, ended they a knew lot that. It's the Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, yeah. Be, becoming friends with your captors. Right. It's that's that's insane, man! What a crazy fucking matchup. Yeah, I, I've never seen I've never seen it. I've never seen a video of it. I think it's out there. Wow! I think even Andy Sauer hit me up on one of the social media. You know, it's like asking if I had ever seen it. I'm like, no, bad. up to this point, I have not. It was under wow. shootboxing rules. So shootboxing, I don't know if you're familiar, was um, billed as. No holds barred stand up, so it was throws and takedowns with kickboxing. Okay, no elbows like Draka. Remember when they used to do that? They were doing that in the United States for a while. Was uh, kickboxing with takedowns? I, I don't remember that, but it, it that's that's what this was supposed to be. Maurice Smith did that for a little bit and standing submissions. What? And, yeah, you were supposed to be able to do standing submissions, and I actually caught him in, in a few chokes standing. Uh-huh. And, and I think the rules were. If the guy hits his knees, he's he, they they break it and they stop it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it was weird. It was it was, it was cool, man. It was it was a good experience. I was 19 wow. years old. I got yeah. to go to Japan. Yeah. 
Whoa. fight for I don't know, probably five hundred bucks. I don't even remember how much <laughs> it was. <laughs> Japan's crazy. Did oh. you see Ryzen? What's that? Did you see Ryzen, the uh-uh. Japanese, um, the the New Year's show with Fedor? I did not. Yeah, it's ultimate freak show. Yeah, it was awesome. Cool. Yeah, it was almost like kind of like early days of Pride, where mm-hmm. it was like kind of chaotic. Like Gabby Garcia was there, two hundred twenty pounds. I saw that fight. Yeah, juice to the fucking earlobes. <laughs> She, <laughs> and she got dropped, right? She did but right she, off the bat. But she came back and she cracked the chick with a back fist. Well, fucking back fist coming back, man. Arlovsky with Travis Brown, he landed a back fist. Oh, this one? Yeah, a regular back fist, not a spinning back fist, oh. a regular back fist, just the pimp hand, just the, <laughs> the back backhand pimp hand. Uh-huh. But um, it was two days of fights. Wow. Yeah, Sakuraba. It might have been more than two days. Sakuraba fought Aoki. Which was just criminal. They shouldn't let Sakuraba fight anymore. Right. It's, it's just awful to yeah, watch. How old is he now? It's not how old he is. It's the, it's the miles. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. probably younger than Anderson. You know, if I had a guess, yeah. I would I would say he's younger than Anderson. But the beatings yeah. that guy's taking. Did you see the Melvin Manhoof fight when Melvin was soccer kicking him and he's down? It's no. just this, oh. no. It's so hard to watch. Yeah. Uh, those Vanderlei knockouts that he suffered, those, those were, were brutal. Those were ruthless, yeah. That guy's been through the ringer, you know? He's he's so cr- What a legend, though, that guy yeah. is. What a legend. Absolutely. I remember the first time I saw Pride, I saw him fighting Hoist Gracie. And oh, just wow. wasting him. That was that 90-minute fight. That was that 90-minute one, and he, yeah. had, he had Hoist in that that like dead to rights knee mm-hmm. bar yep. and hoist would not tap and yeah I forget what ended up happening was it was a draw? decision yeah it well it was a draw because they went the 90 minutes and nothing happened yeah i think it was a draw i think that, that's how they they no 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 hoist broke his ankle that's right didn't he break his ankle and he couldn't continue fuck why do i not remember that jamie will pull it up he'll find yeah. out all right cool there was two fights they had another one in k1 and that was in America. I was there live for that one, and the hoist was juiced up. He was big. He was yoked up. Then he tested positive. And uh, they fined him a fuckload of money. I don't know if he ever paid it, but he vanished. <laughs> but now he's back. He's fighting, which is crazy. He's fighting Ken Shamrock. I saw that yeah. on, uh, on Bellator. Bellator. Yeah. yeah, it's the main event in February. That's crazy. Yeah, it's so strange. Yeah. I remember th- their fight was the first fight I ever saw. It was the first UFC fight I had ever seen. And Sakuraba it, and Hoist? No, no, no. Cannon Hoist. And wow. Hoist was choking the, cho- choked him with his gi. Yeah. It was wild, man. That was the early days, man. Uh-huh. The first fight I ever saw was Orlando Vite versus um, Remco Pardue. Mm-hmm. When mm. Remco Pardue took him down and elbowed the fuck out of him mm-hmm. in, from side control. Or oh, he had him like that judo, Scar- judo like scarf hold. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I remember watching that going, Jesus Christ, what kind of fucking crazy sport is this? And the yeah, the Pardo guy kind of hits him a few mm-hmm. times and then he kind of look he's like surprised yeah. that he's knocked out and he kind of just lets him go. Yeah. The refs at the time would just let them melee each yeah. other. Oh my Big John. God. Big John was one of the refs back then. <laughs> it's just crazy. You remember when um uh what the fuck is his name fought that ninja dude, Pat Pat Smith. Pat Smith fought some dude who was like doing like they had his his pre-fight video and his pre-fight video he was doing like ninja techniques and like fucking all this crazy shit that doesn't really mm-hmm. work and then he got in there with Pat Smith who was a pretty seasoned kickboxer mm-hmm. yeah and it was dropping just 
wicked elbows mm-hmm. on him and like from the mount and yeah. like knocked him out and then woke him up mm-hmm. and then knocked him out again before the ref stopped. Yeah, well he got up and it was just a bath of blood. Uh-huh. His whole head was essentially opened up. Yeah. Boy, that was the early days, man. The yeah. early days were really fascinating because you you were around martial arts before the UFC. So you had seen like, you know, you'd seen karate and you'd seen all these different judo and all this different stuff. And nobody really knew what the best stuff was. Mm-hmm. I always knew that wrestlers could take you down. I always knew that, that was going to be a problem because I, I wrestled in high school and I had a good buddy of mine, my friend uh, Steven Arduino, when I was doing uh, Taekwondo and he was wrestling. One of the reasons why I got into wrestling is because I didn't think that he could take me down. Like we were out in the grass. He's like, I could take you down anytime I want. I'm like, bullshit. He took me down over and over again. I was like, this is crazy. It was so humiliating. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just he just took me down every time he wanted to. And I was like, this is mad. I got to start wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I started wrestling. That's one of the reasons why I started. Another one, a dude got me in a headlock and fucking threw me down in the locker room. He <laughs> could have beat me up, but didn't. I was like, God damn it, I'm fucking frail. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to learn wrestling. But uh-huh. I always knew that wrestlers could take you down if they wanted to. Uh-huh. But I always felt like a guy who uh, knew a little bit of wrestling was a good kickboxer would probably be able to keep the fight standing. But then when Hoist started choking people, I was like, oh, no. This is a whole different thing. This is a completely different thing. That guy beat that guy from his back. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck wins on their back? Uh-huh. Like, it was just a whole new element. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because you've been around from the WEC days, which were when you were the WEC champ, like, it was, it, it was so small, in comparison to what it is now. Mm-hmm. For you to go from that to that last fight against Robbie in Vegas, which was just this massive fucking media event. You're fighting for the world title. You get there. The place is sold out. It's craziness. The roar of the crowd. You know, it's time. And you, like, what a fucking odyssey you've been through in your yeah. career. Because yeah. you, you were there sort of when it was kind of just starting to take off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really got in on, on kind of the ground level. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even before WEC, I told you we were fighting at like 200, 300-person mm-hmm. venues in yeah. the middle of, middle of the desert. And it's been crazy, man. It's been um, it's, it's been an incredible ride, and it has been the coolest fucking thing ever, man. <laughs> I wanted to, as a young kid, none of this existed, and but I was into, you know, the, like, early 90s martial arts movies and sure. the ninja turtles and i wanted to be a <laughs> i wanted to be a ninja I, that's what i wanted to of do of course i remember my that was the second movie that i had ever seen was the first ninja turtles movie and i came out of there throwing fucking <laughs> kicks and spinning shit and and uh ever you know f- from then on i was training to be something yeah and just so happened i lived in a time that this came to be and lived in a city where there was this camp that was, you know, by, you know, kind of inexplicably good um, for a small you know, podunk place yeah. like Albuquerque. But not just inexplicably inexplic- good for the what it was, but also for the time and it evolved. Whereas a lot of those camps that were big back then, like the Lion's Den, mm-hmm. they're gone. You know, the Pat Militich's gym, it's gone. Like these, these gyms that were really big at the time, mm-hmm. they didn't evolve or they didn't carry on or for whatever reason they stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your gym has not just evolved, but evolved to be one of the premier gyms in the world. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of incredible. 
Yeah, and and there's been a lot of change, you know. Some oh, yeah. a lot, like a lot of the original guys have branched off and are kind of doing mm-hmm. their own thing. But um, um, yeah, the 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 genesis of MMA in Albuquerque is kind of an interesting story. Um, and I and I don't I wasn't there. I was like told this. I was you know this is kind of f- f- you know firsthand hearsay from the people who who did develop this thing is that basically these guys from these different disciplines got together. And they had watched the UFC and wanted to. Oh, you know, I'm, I have a wrestling background. This guy has a Kempo background. This guy's like a, you know, a, a AKKA karate kind of background, whatever. And they all got together and they started formulating the shit. And this one guy was a, a flight attendant, and he was flying all over the country. And every everywhere he'd stop, he would he would go to these different schools. Um, because there wasn't the internet at the time there were, you couldn't jump on YouTube and look at techniques. Right. So he would go, the guy's name is Chris Luttrell and he, he cornered me for, uh, my, my fight against GSP, uh, and what is one of the founding members of, of Jackson's, he was going to these different jujitsu, judo, pancreation schools and seeing w- what they were doing. And then he was bringing the information back wow. and they were, and then they were, you know, kind of getting into the laboratory and see what was working. Oh. At the same time, some of these guys were um, bouncers and police officers and, and, and literally using this stuff, you know, on the street mm. in, in some, you know, some, you know, uh, <laughs> Roadhouse type fucking situations. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> my, my, my original trainer was like a Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse type kind of guy, Tom Vaughn. I don't know if you know Tom Vaughn. Yeah, he, trained, he trains sure. Tim Means. Yes, um, yeah, and is fit NHP now yep. in uh, Albuquerque as well. And he was him and Greg were. I mean that that he's one of the founding members as well. It's kind of crazy that there's two big gyms like that in a, a place as small as Albuquerque that have UFC. Fighters. Well, they split there. Yeah, they're from the same place. They spl- they branched off at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or but they it's, split up. It's crazy that you know these both guys have developed really high level talent. Huh. Like, well, Tim- it's because they all came from the same <clears throat> you know the, the same original yeah. thing. That's a fascinating story about the flight attendant. Well, I'm sorry, what's his name again? Chris Luttrell. C- C- Chris Luttrell. Because um, him traveling and doing that, that's similar to what Hollis Gracie did, Holes did. Okay. Holes Gracie traveled to America and learned a lot of wrestling shit mm-hmm. and learned catch wrestling stuff. That's why the Americana is named the Americana. It's a, it's a you know, it really came from American catch wrestling, uh-huh. and they started incorporating it into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, along with some wrestling techniques and some sambo. And he learned a bunch of shit, uh-huh. and he was the guy that really was Hickson's mentor. He was the guy that was the head of the family. Uh-huh. Before he died, he was the man, and he died in a um, hand gliding accident oh, in Rio. Shit. Yeah, and he was the, he was the guy. Like, he was the head of the, uh, all the others. You know, he was the one alpha of all the uh, the grapplers. And mm-hmm. he, he was dedicated to learning and incorporating different techniques. I think, like, uh, in any other context, that those who are the most adaptable, most open to change and evolution mm-hmm. are those who, who survive. Look, sure. uh, I remember Eddie Bravo uh, uh, showing uh, his, his approach to Rickson Gracie. Hickson, Gracie. Uh, Hickson. And, <laughs> Jesus <right>. Christ. <laughs> Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard on me? No, and, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> and he, wa- despite his, his amazing knowledge and background and achievements he was open enough yes. to listen carefully 
uh, respectfully, uh, with you know, with humility. Well, he even uh, asked questions. Like Hickson was asking questions exactly. about different aspects of the positions. Yeah. And coming from the 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 BJJ world, that's that's unusual, actually. Well, uh, Hickson is a very unusual guy. Hickson was a yogi. Like he was the first guy to incorporate yoga, and he is a legit yogi. Like, have you ever seen the videos of him doing those exercises in yes. Santa Monica where he's balancing on one leg and he puts his leg up in a full split? He yes. has incredible mm -hmm. control of his body. Yes, and the, and the, and hence the the, the people uh, uh, legitimately legitimately saying, "Hey, Rickson was the first to implement movement in yes. his training." He was, yeah, he was. Yeah. But here's the thing: to me, uh, I want to pay tribute to all coaches that they are Muay Thai striking coaches, judo coaches, the, even strength and conditioning coaches. Mm -hmm. They are all movement trainers and movement specialists they all are well more or less specialized yes. but they are it's all movement it is and you know there's an interesting aspect that's going on right now in 10th planet jiu-jitsu with break dancers there's a bunch of uh these guys like richie martinez who was a, a break dancer like amazing break dancer and his brother geo these guys they can do crazy shit with their body. They're standing on one hand and spinning around. And because it, of that... You have another term, hip hop. It's a lot mm -hmm. about how you control your hips, which is the fundamental of jiu-jitsu. I don't think that's hip hop. <laughs> I don't think that's where it, it's like, well, because it rhymes. <laughs> it, came, it came from like, um, like hip -hop, Sugar Hill dance, Gan. You know, different... Sugar Hill Band. Hip hop, a hip hip hop. A what you don't know, Joe, those, think right, it was, but, okay, those guys had incredible movement. Uh, they didn't show it much. <laughs> they had to. to they those their rhymes, their, their rhymes the overshadowed their fucking st their right. stability, their core there's stability. The dance, there's the dance, and then there's uh, the music, and then there is the, in break dancing. You're gonna use. Yeah, look your, at these guys. Look. You're gonna use your hips uh, uh, like crazy. A That's lot of Geo. those movements are achieved because you have great hip control. Look at and this. And in jiu-jitsu, you must look have this video. great grip control. Look at uh, this hip control. Play that from the beginning, Jamie. Watch what this guy can do. Mm -hmm. This is a. Uh, just one of the breakdown. Look at he's standing on it's his beautiful. fucking yep. head, just beautiful. his head. But Tr the controls, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. Well, these guys, um, when Eddie first started training them and rolling with them, he was amazed at how freakishly strong they were. Mm -hmm. And you know, you look at them; they look like regular people. But it's the physical control of their body is just spectacular because of, you know, it's essentially similar to gymnastics in a lot of ways like look at this fucking guy no, no, that, that's, oh me, that's Migo level oh my god <laughs> but he's at the same time it's and walking on his hands this is nuts man that is fucking nuts uh -huh. what's the name of this video jamie so if people are listening they can watch this 10th planet breakdance crew freak show yeah, they, they all call themselves Freak Show. He's yeah. got a, he owns 10th Planet San Diego. Yeah, is he, is he trying Gio to submit does. himself? Yeah, it Richie looks like it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he can submit himself. There's a couple of those kids that could put themselves in triangles, like legitimately put themselves in triangles. Look at this fucking, look uh, at this yeah. shit. I'm sassing, but I admire at the same time this kill. It's, there's no doubt. Oh, there's uh, no doubt. Um, well, the physical control of the body is just spectacular. Right. And uh, this is the first time I've seen this, but I mean, I can see the, the application to combat sports. Oh, yeah. Like, um, immediately, I've rolled with a couple of these guys. They're mm -hmm. fucking freaks. Like yeah. you can't hold on to them. <laughs> they, just, yeah. they move all over the place, mm -hmm. and they can catch you in shit from all sorts of weird angles. Like look at that. <laughs> He's on one hand, and he puts his legs in full lotus, and, standing and, on one hand, jumping up and down. It's and nuts. tenth planet uh, jujitsu is a very uh, you know explorative, innovative school of of jujitsu, and 
um, in in the in the game of MMA, uh, those gyms who also are open and collaborative are going to keep themselves, you know, at the upper echelon. Um, and those who don't evolve will will disappear because yeah. it is indeed the methods. the The end result is the same. It's the fight. It's fighting. But the mm-hmm. methods to get there and to be proficient uh, at it. It's, it boils down to the methods that you use, and uh, with uh, with Carlos, there was uh, there was no resistance when I approached him and started to try and talk to his coaches about it, and they they may not understand right away exactly what it was about or what it was going to bring to his game, but they were at least open to it, and eventually they saw. Uh, what together we've been able to to improve and achieve, and if 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 it didn't have uh, that attitude, then Carlos would have not benefited. So Did you contact uh, Jackson and Gre- uh, and Winklejohn before you worked with Irwan, or did you try it out first and go, "Hey, uh, I think I'm onto something." Um, I think I don't know. I don't. I don't remember how that worked, but. What was really interesting, and Irwin touched on it earlier, was that they saw the same thing. They both watched. So after my the widening the stance, yeah, and and the, the ability to move forward and back. We, mm-hmm. I, me and uh, and uh, Greg Jackson sat, and he wanted to watch a couple of my fights, and we want he wanted to see what what we were doing well and what we needed improvement on. Um, saw a few things, and I started work with Irwin completely independently. And, you know, we're walking on logs and this and that. And he's like, well, this is kind of a plan that I, I have for you. And this is what I see. And it was exactly the same thing that Greg Jackson, who is, uh, you know, considered to be one of the most brilliant minds in MMA, saw. Um, Irwin is a movement specialist. And Irwin had a plan and a strategy on how to improve that. Um, what was Jackson's idea of dealing with it? What did he think? Well, he, he knew what needed to be done. I don't think he necessarily knew how to get there. So he knew that you needed to be able to move in and out better. Yes. But he didn't have any strategy. Yeah, for... well, I mean, I wouldn't say that he didn't have any strategy. It was kind of, okay, you know, we'll work on that. Let's figure out how yeah, to do let, it. Yeah, let, right. let's, let's work on that. But Maybe t- just drill it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Drill yeah. it. Uh, Erwin and I, we, we, videotaped my, we videotaped us moving across the same, the same distance. And this dude's fast, man. He's like a fucking deer. Uh, he moves really, really, really quickly. He can run. He can Kinda jump. Looks like a deer. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's got that look in his eyes. <laughs> I don't find myself in the corner of the wood with me being a so-called deer and, and this guy with his bow because he shoots like <laughs> super sharp. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, through me. So off, videos, uh, you're going back and forth. So, yeah, and so we're you know we're looking at you know we're, and we're 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 looking at this stuff in slow mo, frame by frame, where his body position mm-hmm. is compared to where mine is, and what's the difference? He's moving faster because boom, he's more upright. He doesn't have so much weight on his front foot that he has to load and take another half second mm. before he ju- he springs backwards. Right, and so we're like, boom, that's it. Uh, this is what this is what we need to improve on. This is what we need to, to, to do. Now we are going to drill it, and, and there's a variety of different things to kind of uh, you know instill that that uh, uh, the stance and the posture you know as, as, as a, on a neuromuscular level. Are you having other fighters approaching now? Not yet, but really, 
no. After I saw that video, I would imagine the video of you guys training together. I'd be like, this here's is the thing. I think there's there stuff. is still some uh, probably some uh, um, uh, skepticism. Mm -hmm. You know, what's this movement coaching? And right. Like, in, guy looks like if Jesus. the guy doesn't have uh, doesn't look like Jesus, doesn't have a man bun and a suave foreign yeah. accent, it's a ripoff. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. right? So um, I think that it, it, they don't know exactly what it is about, and they probably believe that it's either ran it's probably random or. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to what Carlos says, um, it is actually it was highly specific because a camp is three months. We would. Uh, train once a week maybe sometime twice a week but that's still a limited amount of time to right. make those changes happen so i had to choose my battle and right. I, and then I, I i i i told carlos listen this is what i believe we need to work on and just focus on and and we did that for the first camp and then the second camp for uh Lawler was completely different completely different uh and and highly specific to uh to improving uh kicking what were you going to say? You were going to say... So we, we actually, we do have some guys that are, they've been doing this kind of independently. They uh, one, one of the guys, he's a young guy, and they're fighting on like amateur and regional levels, but you, I have a feeling we're gonna, you're going to know their names here you know, in the next yeah. couple of years. Um, they're up and coming guys. They're young, uh, you know, like 21, 22, 23 year old, mm -hmm. you know, kind of making their way. Um, one of them has been watching Irwin's videos since he was like 15 years old he met her when he was all starstruck oh my god this is Erwin McCor. how did you even meet? you know and uh uh they are incorporating movement quite a bit so it's not you know it's not that they haven't sought him out they're they're kind of very interested in this and doing their own stuff and 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 finding this stuff on online and watching the Edor Portal stuff watching Irwin's stuff and um and, and definitely incorporating a lot of this this stuff. And then one of the kids is a, is a gymnast. He was a gymnast before, oh. and and so now he can do all kinds of crazy shit. I mean, That's they're they're all looking for an edge. Definitely, uh, they're all looking for an edge. Yeah. Even Carlos was looking for. Well, George St. Pierre was doing a lot of gymnastics. Uh, Pat Cummings does a lot of that as well. Yeah. It's the same thing. And now now we're yeah. see, like we you know we see with Con Conor McGregor, so it's like this big thing. Oh, this movie. right. Uh, uh, GSP was, you know, he was, yeah. he was doing gymnastics for the same exact reasons yeah. to be able to move his body better through through space and right. and ultimately become a better fighter and mm -hmm. be able to better beat the shit out of people. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's the goal, right? right? You know, it's 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 fun and it's cool. It's a cool way to train, and you know, after the fact, I think this is a a, a cool fitness modality that's that's very different. And I I absolutely love it. I've been an athlete all my life, and I can I plan on being an athlete till the fucking day I die. How much longer do you think you're going to be fighting? Um, Have you considered that? Or oh, do yeah. You? oh, yeah. I've, been I've, I've heard you talking about that uh -huh. after the, the Robbie Lawler fight. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it, I'm, I'm How probably, old are you now? 31. I'll be 32 in a few months. So you're still in your prime? I am, but... You know, this has been a this has been a long road. You know, I started training profession or fighting professionally at eighteen. Mm. Um, have had forty, you know, over forty fights. You know, and you feel it? You get dinged up? I get dinged up, and you, I f I still feel great. I think I think my concern is the long term neurological stuff um, mm -hmm. that is you know kind of com coming to light with you know with all, you know all this this studies on this the concussions and you've seen me fight. I don't I don't go in there and not take damage. Yeah. I'm, I, fucking take damage you know I, I take take punishment 
you know, I take I'll take two to give one, and that's just kind of my style. And well, you didn't fight like that in the Nick Diaz fight. That was like one of the few fights where you didn't fight like that. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I felt I had seen a lot of guys go in against Nick Diaz and gas themselves out trying to knock that guy out. Yeah. It's like he can't. You can't knock him out. He took a full on uh, uh, left hook from from Paul Daly, flopped around a little bit, popped back up. Paul Daly blew his wad trying to finish him, and then and then got knocked the fuck out himself. Yeah. And, and I've seen a lot of guys, you know, you know, hurt him, but he's so goddamn tough. He's so hard to put away. And so yeah, it was more of a. Um, of a calculated approach you know as i got flowing later in the fight i started opening up a little bit but um i think that's what a lot of nick diaz's strategy is he he wants for one he wants to get in your head and he wants you to fight emotionally he wants you to sit there and have a face punch punching competition with him (laughs) you know oh we're gonna stand here like it's the fucking schoolyard was he talking a lot of shit to you he he was but it i just i knew i knew what he's gonna do Mm -hmm. i mean i grew i grew up with right dudes like that you right know, you know my whole life i was you know so i was kind of used to that and i knew that i was going to have to be emotionally um uh prepared yeah blank. yeah yeah emotionally uh kind of kind of sh- shut down and just fight a, a strategic fucking game plan against the guy yeah, yeah. it was uh it was f- interesting to watch that fight because you know he was extremely frustrated by that you know and he couldn't get you to change you know Whereas he's been able to, like, fuck with guys' heads. Like, the Frank Shamrock fight, like, you could see Frank Shamrock going, I can't fucking believe this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. Like, when Nick was ca- talking shit to him, like, what, bitch, what? And then popping him with a jab. You could see, like, for some people, that shit talking becomes overwhelming with mm-hmm. Nick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, both me and Cowboy fought the Diaz brothers within a few weeks of each other, right? Uh, uh, Cowboy lost to Nate. And I fought Nick just a few weeks later, and in in preparation for both of our camps, we would we were switching roles and both <laughs> fighting Southpaw and both fighting you know like one round I would fight Southpaw and talk a bunch of shit and try <laughs> and try try to try to get you know try try to emulate the Diaz style, and then the next round he would do the same. Did you yell out Stockton motherfucker two oh nine? I, I, yeah, well, I did my best impression. That reminds me of a Buddhist uh, monk drill where they're all in their meditation posture and uh, they, they partner up and the other guy's like trying to instigate them and, you know, top crap to them to have them get out of their meditation. Mm. That's the drill. Very, well, there's definitely similar. something to that. I mean, if you're not used to people that talk shit, when someone talks shit to you, it can be like emotionally devastating. Like, uh, what? What's right. happening here? Yeah. But if you're used to be like, fuck you, yeah. I've heard this shit, you know, it's, yep. it, it becomes normal. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I tried to explain that to fighters um, when they deal with online criticism as well. Mm-hmm. Like I've ha- talked to guys who would go on like the underground and see like some shit that people are talking about them and just be fucking devastated uh-huh. and get so upset. And I was like, look, man, you got to treat it like snake venom. You get a little bit of that shit in your system, and you're going to be okay. You get yeah. a little bit more, and you eventually you build, you build up an immunity to it. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, I get it. You're just a bunch of little cunts uh-huh. who've never accomplished shit. Yeah. So you're talking shit about fighters, calling them pussies. Yeah. and Because like, to some fighters, you have a loss. And you're like, good, I'm glad he got knocked out. I fucking hate watching that guy fight. He's a pussy. You're like, <gasps> Yeah, and to but them, just it's like some it's, 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 it's stuff. Oh it, my god! It's and the, initially, it, it's like 
was like, whoa, yeah. after that, you know, I'd never experienced that until really until after the Diaz fight. Like, I, there'd been some, but after the Diaz fight, I mean, you know that. It was like, yeah. big time. So, yeah, I, I call it the vicious and what? I, ca I call it the, the unique snowflakes, uh, snowflake uh, syndrome. Like, you're told since you're a kid, you're a unique snowflake. But the problem is that they, they can't stand the heat. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, uh, who are you talking about, though? I love who is the unique snowflake? The person talking shit or the fighter? Uh, whoever is, like, being told all the time, hey, it's okay to be different or it's okay to be this and that. Uh -huh. But the problem is that sometimes you do need to uh, hear stuff about, about about yourself that is challenging and, and to take it. Cri yeah. Criticism. To not crumble. I, I to not crumble. No, you criticism. need to hear it. I mean, I would, I would appreciate... Uh, I mean, man, it's hard because I like both ways. I kind of love like Nate Diaz punching Michael Johnson in the face and then pointing at him. Ah, I just fucked you up. Like, mm -hmm. it's funny. Mm -hmm. You know, when Anderson fought Nick and Nick laid down on his back and pretended he was sleeping for a second, mm -hmm. I was fucking crying was laughing. Hilarious. I love it. When Conor McGregor talks mad shit to Jose Aldo for months mm -hmm. till he just rents space in his head to the point where Aldo just, he literally can't fight his fight. Mm -hmm. He has to run at Conor because he's just so overwhelmed with emotion mm -hmm. and then Conor sleeps him. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? I, I like both, but I prefer in a in a perfect world i prefer martial artists i prefer guys who go out there treat each other with respect shake each other's hands and then just go at it just let their skill take it but it's an effective tactic to these fighters it's part of their weapons it fucking it's, works it's not something outside their their game it's completely embedded in their whole game it, oh yeah well it's also it a lot sense. of fighters define themselves by respect by how much someone respects them and how how much like like to a fighter when someone's not scared of them it becomes a very devastating thing uh -huh. like i remember when anderson fought chris weidman when Ry weidman and anderson were at the weigh-ins and anderson's staring at him looking at him and weidman goes i'm not scared of you dude i'm not scared of you and you could see anderson was like shit this guy really isn't fucking scared of me Like, you could see there was a tangible moment where this guy wasn't pretending he wasn't scared. Mm -hmm. He just literally wasn't scared. That, and you could feel it. That, that similar situation at the weigh-ins with uh, Ronda Rousey and Holly, Holly Holm. Holm. Yes. Same thing. And I, yes. I felt like that was a precursor to what ended up happening. Well, the big part was when Holly didn't flinch. Exactly. When Rhonda was yelling at her, you fake bitch, you know, your preacher's daughter, all this stuff and stuff, and she wrote all this stuff on Instagram about her, and Holly's just standing there. And then when I interviewed Holly afterwards, she goes, well, I was just trying to get a sip of water. And you realize, like, whoa, this girl's so fucking composed. Uh -huh. Like, so composed. Yeah. And, and also, she had been to so many dances. Yeah. She'd fought for so many boxing titles and kickboxing and MMA. She'd been in so many dances that the bright lights weren't an uncomfortable thing to her. Yeah. She had, she's like, okay, we're here again. Mm -hmm. you know, whereas for a lot of people, it's like, whoa, this is the big show. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, I can't believe I'm here. Yep, absolutely. You know, being overwhelmed by the moment is almost something that you can't prepare for. You, it seems to me that for a lot of people... Some people just naturally can deal with moments. Mm -hmm. And some people, they have to experience it a couple times to get loose. They get, they got to get comfortable with it. And then they have to, like some people, like Cowboy's a perfect example. He fights his best when he fights a lot. He's got to fight all the time. Mm -hmm. He fights three, four times a year, and then you're going to get the best Cowboy you can mm -hmm. get. But you make him take a year off or take a, you know, a, a long time off, and it's, yeah. he's, just, he's much better when he's active. Yeah. He's got to stay 
loose and looped mm-hmm. up and yeah. you know you know fired up and that fight with tim ne- means is gonna be fucking crazy yeah when they announced that i went whoa yeah I why know. did cowboy decide to take that fight because he doesn't like cutting weight i have no idea i don't know i haven't i haven't talked to cowboy but i mean i said hey what's up you know, we didn't, but we didn't really talk about the fight at all. Well, he's so crazy. You could probably offer him Brock Lesnar. He look, come on, bring oh, it on. Oh, for sure, exactly. Let's do it. That's it. That, that's why. It's, be, it's because he's cowboy. Yeah, he's just nuts, man. Yeah, yeah, he's a fun dude, man. Yeah, absolutely fun to watch fight. Fuck, he's either he's either on or he's off. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately. Well, I don't even necessarily know if he it wasn't that he was not on. I said Dos Anjos is a fucking demon. Yeah, he's just. Jumps all over you. He's a did, demon. Did that to him. Did that to Pettis. Yeah, man. Nobody's done that to Pettis, man. Dude, dude. But he, he's just so fucking fat. And again, he's a guy who trains with Nick Curson. And Nick Curson's gotten doing all these plyometrics and jumps and uh-huh. sprints and foot strengthening stuff. You ever seen that stuff where they're, they're lying on their back and their feet are pushing up these bars and they're kicking up these bars and catching them with their feet and, and exploding yep. with their feet? I saw I saw the video before the cowboy fight. Yeah, it's well, is... all based on Marv Marinovich's training strategies. Yeah. That's the same sort of shit that he used with BJ Penn. Really, it's really interesting. I remember interesting. that. I remember yeah. watching that, and BJ was standing on the, mm-hmm. the, the tennis balls mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. You know? I very think, similar. Yeah, very similar. And and it's, you know, it's all very similar kind of a, di- different ways, different, different branches. Methods, yeah. But it's all kind of, you know, it, it's all the, this, you know. Uh, the same goal so what's next for you now do you hang back for a while you had a brutal crazy five-round war for the title where it was as close as you're ever gonna fucking get i mean a lot of people saw it your way a lot of people saw it robbie's way it was just that close split decision um what do you do now um i i'd like another shot at robbie you know i've i felt like i won the fight um and like you said, it was a razor, razor close decision. Um, Could have gone either way. MMA judging is subjective. You know, the scoring like, system so fucking crazy too. It is absolutely it's just nuts that we're still using that ten point must system. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't apply very well to MMA, no. and, it, it, and that's proven over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd like another shot at uh, at Robbie. I feel like I should have the belt right now. But it seems like Tyron Woodley's next, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least he was sort of promised that. Mm-hmm. Based on the the Hendricks fight, where Hendricks didn't make weight, and um, it seems like that's what's probably being set up. But you never know with the UFC. I mean, Misha Tate was supposed to fight Ronda if she beat uh, was it Jessica I? Mm-hmm. Is that who it was? Uh, I, don't I think that's who it was. And then they decided no. So it's it's interesting because the UFC kind of decides to call the shots. Mm-hmm. Has anybody talked to you about whether or not they would do that again? Uh, I think it's I think it's definitely a possibility. Uh, you know, I, I think the first fight they made that fight because that was the fight that people wanted to see among yeah. um, among any of the contenders. That 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 was the that was the one that, that got everybody excited. Right. That that was the one, and a rematch of that fight. Oh yeah. Come on now. Well, I think as far as uh, public interest, that would be the biggest fight out there. Yeah. But I feel like I just hate when someone gets promised something. Yeah. You know, and I would feel the same way if it was you. Mm-hmm. Like Tyron Woodley got promised that title fight. Mm-hmm. If he beat Hendricks, Hendricks fucks up and doesn't make weight, and the fight fights off, and then Woodley's sort of left out to dry. Mm-hmm. 
I feel for him. Yeah, you know, no, and I do too. And and shit, you know, I have I have a loss to Woodley. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that you know that's definitely on my radar to 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 avenge that loss. Uh, Does know? a loss like that, an injury loss, fuck with you as much as a a, a loss by decision or you know? I mean, that's a kind of a crazy loss because your your knee blew out. Yeah, I think even more so. Just because of the fact that I I didn't get to do as much as I wanted to do, mm. you know, I did I didn't get to leave everything out there. You know, this this last one, yeah, it's a bummer. I didn't take the belts home that night. Didn't go my way, but you know, I I pushed it. I was able to fucking empty the tank. You definitely emptied the tank. Yeah, and and both in the, did in the Woodley fight. I didn't. Uh, my you know my body gave out. My knee blew out. So. Um, yeah, from that perspective, I, I I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he was promised the fight, but I'm not in charge of Tyron. I'm not in charge of right. pick, picking the fight. I'm in charge of, you know, Carlos Condit and trying to get myself in in the best fight. That being said, you know, honestly, that's about the only fight that interests me at this point. Well, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be mad if they decided to make a rematch. I'd feel bad for Tyron, but uh, fuck, I'd love to see that again. Yeah, I'd love to do that again. That's how much time would you need off after a fight like that? Um, I think I'd be, I'd be ready to go in, you know, late spring, early summer. The UFC two hundred. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. I don't know. Jesus Christ! I don't know, you know about you. That would be gigantic. That'd be UFC two hundred. That's oh my goodness. You know, I I. I wanted that fight to be legendary, and I think that it lived up to that. Oh, it was legendary. And it was one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. Yeah. So I've probably called 1,500 fights or something like that, mm-hmm. something crazy like that. That was easily in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Just and everybody wants to see a sequel. Uh, Except Tyron. It's like an unfinished business. <laughs> Except Tyron Woodley. He's right now listening going, fuck right. that shit. <laughs> That's my fucking shot. Yeah, and I I understand where he's coming from. but Yeah, you know. I get it too. I get it too. Hey, maybe they can, you know. Fucking give him a little kudos. Listen, Tyron, <laughs> take a few of these. Kick back, like, relax. Yeah, yeah. Have a good time. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know. I still, I still love this shit. I mean, I still, right. I still love the process, training camp, even fucking fight week. I enjoy, and you know, that's awesome. One of my favorite things in life is to get in there and fucking you know mix it up with a guy like Robbie. So. Well, it was one of my favorite things to watch because it was just an amazing fight. It was, like I said, after the fight, it was an honor. It was an honor to be there and to call it because I know that when this is all over and we're old and we're sitting around at a bar or at a picnic someday, we're picnicking? What the fuck am I talking about? We're talking about (laughs) the past. We're going to talk about that fight. You know, the way people talk about Leonard and Duran or the way people talk about any great, crazy fight that they were they were there for yeah you know? and and win or lose ultimately that's that's what i want to be said that's the legacy that i want to leave well i think it was martial arts in its best form in a lot of ways it was a heart determination willpower technique uh the discipline to go through camp to get yourself in the kind of shape that you need to be in to compete for five rounds like that mm-hmm. which is just an insane amount of physical conditioning you mean you guys fucking emptied, and your workload was extremely high in that fight, mm-hmm. especially kicks. I remember that was one of the things that we commented on, like how many kicks you had thrown. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was uh, really a really fucking crazy, crazy fight. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun, man. 
I had, yeah. I had fun. I don't maybe maybe I'm a little bit twisted, but that was <laughs> I, I was definitely like, say you're a little bit twisted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that was yeah, it was a good the, time. The kicks were a big part of it, the strategy too. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of people wondered why is it that uh, Lawler was not as aggressive as usual. Mm-hmm. I believe there is a reason because it's not like he was less hungry or less in, in shape. It's because the strategy worked of uh, higher volume and higher uh, accuracy and. Uh, with with the, those kicks to to you know lower his his aggressiveness, mm-hmm. um, it worked. Well, st- kicks are always so dangerous too because mm-hmm. it just takes one slip up. You know, it's they're they're so much harder than punches, and you're taking them on your arms, and they fuck your arms up mm-hmm. to the point where you can't throw punches anymore. So you got to be careful what you absorb. Mm-hmm. Right, it's part. It's uh, the volume is is statistically the volume is going to create damage mm-hmm. to. Yeah, to different diverse part of the the body. So when uh, you know, I've, I've heard the debate about the the fight metrics. How mm-hmm. you know, I threw a lot. I didn't necessarily land a lot, um, and I feel like the the kick and the kicks and the the volume of of punches that I was uh, that I was throwing out was you know the equivalent of uh, you know say putting down cover fire if you were in a firefight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're not necessarily uh, you know you know popping people's nuggets mm-hmm. but you are you know that it, it's part of an overall strategy yes. to to come out with victory you're 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 throwing him off you're making him keep his hands up you're keeping that distance you're you know making the enemy keep their head down yes. in, in this analogy and you weren't also loading up either you were touching him with a lot of these things and mm-hmm. keep him on his toes mm-hmm. and you know that was something that Dwayne was calling TJ Dillashaw to do in his fight with Dominic Cruz he was like to just go out and then touch him just keep touching him and then the, the shots will come but he got so emotional and tied up and trying to knock Dominic out. You could see him standing more flat-footed, swinging more single shots, uh-huh. yeah. single kicks, single punches. This, yeah, this guy that had looked just incredibly dynamic with his footwork and his, he, you know, kind of looked like Dominic Cruz against other guys and looked really well. Dominic Cruz goes out there and makes him, you know, look like a very orthodox, uh, uh, you know, fighter. He's not. He's not moving like yeah, that at, anymore. At times, yeah, at, at times. Initially, initially, they came out and they were both mm-hmm. moving like that. I'm like, oh, what? This is this is crazy. These guys going to open up a wormhole. What yeah. the fuck's going? On? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. Shit's gonna be. You know. It's, yeah. Shit's wild. Well, I think that's what a lot of us expected. But yeah. um, it's interesting that what what Uriah had said about TJ that he had a feeling that TJ was going to get emotional because TJ is a super competitive guy yeah. and he get really geared up and. You know, that's uh, that was an interesting fight. Really interesting fight to watch. It's crazy that Dominic Cruz was able to come back, having essentially only fought once in four years, yeah. and, and and win the title like that. like that. Yeah, yeah, he's a different kind of animal. He's a sure. smart motherfucker too. Yeah, you is. talk to that guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I, I've known him since WEC. I listen to his an- analysis of fights, like mm-hmm. when he talks about like what mistakes guys make and things guys are doing right and correctly and what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you realize like he's operating on a very, very high level. Oh yeah, very high level. Absolutely. And that's probably part of why he was able to come back and compete at the level that he did. Yeah. Because he, you know, he was sitting there, you know, analyzing this. You know, they they talk about you can sit there and do repetitions of a kick or a technique, um, you know, a hundred times, but it it's almost the same uh, 
thing neurologically to visualize yourself doing mm. that. They say that that visual visual training is a similar is, is very similar and almost as effective as actually doing it. Yeah. So I wonder if I mean the, the, I wonder if there's kind of a of a correlation there. I would imagine there is. Well, he's interesting in a way also because he says that there's no such thing as octagon rust. Mm-hmm. Like I asked him about, and he's like, it's not real. Octagon is mental weakness. If he believes that, it's true. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the fight, it certainly looked true. I mean, he didn't look rusty at all. It's fucking kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think that's the thing. It's a, it's a belief thing. Yeah, he, uh, he's not going to let that not not for one one second hinder him. Yeah, I agree with Carlos because in the absence of of actual movement training due to his injury, it's very likely that he was still visualizing every day his movements and, mm-hmm. and therefore using his brain to keep practicing the movements even though a body could not the body could not follow at that you know during mm-hmm. that time do you examine dominic's footwork do you examine guys that are fighting do you watch like it's, different guys movements uh, and it's it's close to perfection in easy using a, a, a particular technique yes but also most importantly it's all about his alertness and responsiveness mm-hmm. and timing and right. that again, it's 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 uh, it's not how much your body can can do it, how much your mind is is able to operate your body to achieve that. Yeah. So you need a brain that is extremely sharp. Um, well, I was super impressed with him, but one of the things that I thought of when I watched that fight is, goddamn, how good is Mighty Mouse? You got to take a leak. So what's going on? Yeah, let's just wrap this fucker up. Uh, it's it's uh, it's yeah. We we did almost three hours, but listen, thank you very much. It was Absolutely, awesome. Thank man. you, Erwan. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Joe. So uh, your uh, Twitter handle is uh, there's MoveNat NAT M O V N A T M O V N A T, and then there's also yours, which is uh, just Erwan Erwan Lacour. MoveNat.com. And you can find it on my Twitter page because I tweeted it today. All right. And Carlos, it's Thanks. Carlos Condit. Yep. And MoveNat.com. MoveNat. M-O-V-N-A-T.com. M-O-V-N-A-T. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Thank Joe. You. All right, folks. We'll be back tomorrow with the uh, guys from Cowspiracy. Holy shit. Here we go.